Welcome to episode 78 of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on April 17th, 2018. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of this here show. With me, as always, Corey Motley, staff writer at GameCritics. How you doing, Corey? Brad, I have something kind of gross to tell you. Oh, dear. We're starting off on the wrong foot, are we? <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, let me have it. So there has been, for the past few days, a, like, small house cat-sized rat living behind the stove in my house. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Don't you have cats, though? You have I cats? Have, well, you have... Okay, this is the thing. I have cats, but they're, like, don't really seem to be that interested in what's going on. And... I am trying, because I'm not scared of the mouse. Like, if you put, like, a spider or a cockroach in front of me, I will freak out. But, like, a mouse, I'm like, oh, it's, like, a it's like a big enough, like, entity that I'm not really, like, scared of it. But I am kind of a little bit nervous that while we're recording, because I have my headphones on, that it's going to, like, get out from under the stove. And I don't know, like, sneak up behind me and, like, attack me or something. Oh, God. Like, it's going to bite recording. you in the ankle and sever your Achilles tendon. You won't be able to escape, and it's going to, like, get you down to the floor and eat your eyes out. It's going to be, like, dishonored up in this bitch with freaking <laughs> rat swarms. Oh, no. Oh, no. If you stop talking and I hear little biting sounds, I'll know exactly what happened. Yes, call the police immediately. I'll call Patrick at the nuclear plant and tell him to get his ass home. <laughs> Oh my god, he's working off-site right now. He would have to drive like four hours to get here, so... Oh, you'd be dead by then. Sorry, dude. <laughs> I would be dead. This might be my last podcast ever. Who knows? Oh god. Oh, <laughs> pouring one out for Corey, who is now rat bits. Ugh, yikes. Well, hopefully you will not be attacked. Hopefully you will survive the recording. Hopefully you will live to record another day. So, I mean, are, are you like feeding it? Has it become like a household pet? Or like, what? Like what's the situation there? Okay, so the house I live in is approximately like 150 years old, and uh, we heard noises in like the walls a couple of weeks ago, and we weren't sure like what was going on, if it was like raccoons or like mice or something. And so we had what it was doing was we have like a little uh like closet thing in the kitchen that we keep like our trash can in and we have like i think like the water heater is in there and it's just like a little like pantry sized um like little like i guess pantry if you will um but the kind of gross thing about the pantry and we don't keep food in here we only keep the cat food in there keep that in mind we keep all of our food in other cabinets um is that the ceiling of the pantry little closet is totally exposed to the attic. So like oh, you dear. could Yeah, you could just like climb into the closet and go up into the attic. And so as you might expect, sometimes things get like I think like we've had cockroaches in there before because they're oh, just God. in the attic sometimes. Oh, I know it's God. disgusting. Oh um, man. So what happened was I think the rat had been getting coming like i don't i don't know how the fuck this thing does this because like it must have the strength of i don't know like 17 men or something but it's like in the attic sometimes it's in the walls sometimes it'll get down climb down the shelves and eat cat food that's like spilled a little bit onto the floor of the pantry yeah and then we'll climb back up into the ceiling into the attic and get back into the walls but last week it got out like i guess Patrick tried to get it out of the pantry and, like, had it, like, trapped, like, reasonably well. 
And then it ran and like went kind of like between the crack of the dishwasher and the stove. And so it's been like living kind of behind and under the stove for the past like three days. And we've had a pest guy come out twice and he's like, he puts down rat traps. He's been spraying, you know, the perimeter of the inside and the outside of the house and all this stuff. I was hoping that he would just like take the fucking thing and like leave with it or like let it loose outside or something. (laughs) But no. So I've been trying to think of ways that I can catch it. And like we have little cat carriers and I'm trying to decide if I should put like a cat carrier on the counter and, like, I don't know, did, like, I don't know if mice actually do eat cheese, but, like, putting some, like, cheese in the back of it or, like, something back there. Because, like, the the mouse is very large, and I'm worried that if I, like, try to grab it, it'll bite me. And, like, who the fuck knows where its mouth has been? Like, I could die from, like, rabies or something if it bites me. Totally, totally. So, I, I don't know. I've just, like, had the stairs <clears throat> running through my head where, like, I could take, like, a towel and just try to, like, wrap the towel around it or put on, like gloves and like like two hoodies to try to like protect my arms and like grab it and hope that it like can't bite through the gloves or you know the the clothes i'm wearing or something or you know doing the cat carrier thing so i mean i'm not scared of it which is good news but it's been getting ballsier lately and like right in the in the intermission of recording i like poke my head in the kitchen and it was like on the kitchen countertop next to the sink and when it saw me it like scrambled and ran back behind the stove and so like i just i don't know what to do like should i like part of me just wants to pull the whole stove out from the wall and just try to like get back there and grab it but i i don't know it's it's crazy I would not grab it if I were you. I don't. I know because you, you're going to get bit. You're going to get all kinds of fucking infection and disease. It's uh, gross. I mean, I don't know what kind of rat traps um, that guy was putting down, but you know, we talked about naked and afraid a couple of weeks ago, uh, and on that show there was a guy who made rat traps and he was very successful. Where it was totally one of those fucking Warner Brothers cartoon traps where it's like a box with a stick and there's food underneath the stick. You know, and, like, they pull on the stick, and then the box falls down. Oh, yeah. I totally made fun of that guy when we were watching the show. I'm like, oh, give me a fucking break. But it actually worked, like, really well. (laughs) But he, instead of having a box, he put down a big, heavy piece of rock. And so what happened was he put a stick, and he had a little food attached to the stick, and the rats would come out. And when they would nibble on that stick to get the food away, they would, you know, they would tug on it to try to get the food off the stick. Uh It it was just enough to let that rock fall down. It fucking crushed those guys every single time, dude. So maybe you should try mm. getting old school on it, getting one of them little caveman traps set up. But then the problem with that is when you smush the rat, you've got, like, diseased blood and guts all over your floor. So you got to do, yeah. like, some little, like, biohazard yeah. cleanup, man. Otherwise, you're going to get, like, the T-virus shit going on and oh you're going to grow, God. like, an eyeball out of your shoulder and shit. So you know I mean, that. my my I should be clear that my objective here is not to kill. I mean, if it dies from, like, getting rat poison or, like, getting in a rat trap in the house, like, I'm pretty fine with that. But, like, I do not want to catch it and kill it. I don't want to, like... I don't, yeah, like, that that whole situation. I don't want, like, rat guts all over my kitchen. Like, I would much rather just trap it and, like, take it outside or take it up to the levee that's, like, a few blocks away from the house and, like, release yeah. it. Like, I don't I don't want to kill it. But, um, yeah, it's just, like, it's gross and it's large and I, I'm concerned about what to do about it. Well, you know, one other choice. I don't know if the rat guy had brought this up to you. I mean, I don't mean to tell the rat guy his business as he's a rat <laughs> professional. But we had a, uh, we had cause to employ humane rat traps before we had actually not rats but we had a pet hamster uh many years ago and it escaped and it got inside the walls and so we needed to get it back and we didn't want to kill it so there are these humane traps which kind of look like vaguely like cat carriers um but made of like wire and what happens is there's like a little weighted platform inside of them you put a bunch like a bunch of food inside 
And when the, the animal goes inside to get the food, it steps on the weighted platform, the weight shifts, and then the trap springs shut, and uh, it just closes the door. Like, it doesn't kill anybody. Yeah. It just closes the door, and they can't get out, and then you come up in the morning, the animal is inside the cage, the cage is shut, and then you just, you dump them wherever you want to dump them. So maybe that's another option. Um, sounds like that dude's getting comfortable. Sounds like you get another roommate uh, in your house <laughs> that maybe you need to either get rid of him or make him start paying rent. So I don't I know, know what you want to do. I know, need to charge but... his ass some rent. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, so, all right, we will check in, we will follow up with this rat situation and see if he's playing games with you the next time we're on the show or what's going on, but, um, <laughs> a bit of a divergence there, folks. I did not uh, mean to derail us that long, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that was kind of an interesting, interesting, uh, interesting divergence, um, no worries at all. And if you like that stuff, folks, there's way more, uh, non-games stuff at the end of the show, if you're the kind of listener who enjoys non-games chat, various misadventures like Corey's new rat roommate, you can, uh, catch our banter segment. <laughs> After the ending music uh, plays at the end of this episode, just keep listening past the close and you can catch up on what we've been doing and what's been living in our houses, uh, all that kind of stuff. But anyway, we will check back on the rat thing. In the meantime, let's get to what I assume most listeners came for, the games chat. So, Corey, we're kind of on an iOS kick lately. Um, It's interesting you brought up this game because I was actually going to suggest an iOS game to you um, and I was going to play one myself. I didn't tell you about it i didn't get to it so we'll bring that up later on but you on your own of your own free will have played an ios game that you're going to tell us about right now the end of the world sir please fill us in this is a true story i so i actually bought this game like a month ago and i don't even really remember why i bought it i think on a whim i was just perusing the app store and i saw it and if i remember correctly it kind of like build itself as sort of like a sad game and i was like oh yeah i love those sad games let me uh <laughs> Let me pick this one up. And like Core's the art jam. <laughs> I know like if your game is sad and it's short and it's on iPhone, like that's all I need. It's like the trifecta of like the perfect gaming experience for me. So I, and it has a, re- the art style looks good too. I just want to make that clear. Like the, the visual design of the pictures on the app store made it look really appealing. So I bought it and I did another classic Corey move where about a month ago I played it for like five minutes and I was like falling asleep while I was playing it. Cause I did the thing where I was really tired and it was late and I was like, oh, I'll just play some of this before I go to bed. And then I like nearly dropped my phone on my face. So I was trying to play it because I was falling asleep. <laughs> and, yeah. and so I kind of like remembered that it was there and I didn't have a whole lot to talk about on the show this week. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. I'll play. I'll try this again. I'll play it. I'll see what it's like and then report back. And this very much like it is build. It is kind of a like short, kind of sad, um, uh, iOS game. It's not like Florence sad. Like I wasn't like, you know, running to Walmart to buy like three boxes of tissues after I finished it like I was with Florence. But um, it's basically a third person side scrolling kind of narrative game about a guy who he's kind of like a bachelor dude who is kind of living his life in this sort of like drab, his kind of like drab apartment and kind of like a drab world. And Um, We learn through flashbacks in the game that he uh, most of the game is about him reminiscing about a relationship that he has exited from or that um, she has exited from. I'm not really sure how the relationship uh, ended, but a lot of it is about like you kind of walk him through like the daily routine of his apartment. You walk him around the blocks that are uh, surrounding his apartment and it's all 2D. So it's just making him go left or right. And sometimes there will be stairs you can go up sometimes there'll be doors you can walk in and the places that he frequents whenever you oh my god bowser just walked around the side of the couch and i thought it was the rat and i about had a heart attack oh no no. jesus christ oh god Um, rat watch rat watch 2018 (laughs) 
So uh, <laughs> what happens is whenever you are um, walking him around these places that he frequents, uh, there's like a clock, kind of like a clock insignia in the corner of the screen. And when you hold your finger on the clock, it sort of does this flashback sequence to where like, the world is suddenly more vibrant. It's kind of like red and like looks like a sunset is happening. And the scene changes from his sort of drab gray, like sad boy life into things that he used to do in that spot with his girlfriend. So for example, like every time you wake up in the morning, he's in bed, he's just lying there. And then you press and hold your finger on the clock in the corner of his bedroom. And all of a sudden the scene will change and it'll be a depiction of him and his girlfriend in bed. And maybe they'll be like, he'll be on his computer and she'll be looking at her phone or in like one scene, she's like looking at herself in the mirror while she's getting dressed. And he's, I don't know, like uh, sitting on the edge of the bed or something like that. And so there's not really, like, a lot to this game. It only takes about 15 minutes to play through its entirety, and I played through it twice because there are some diverging things you can do in it. But I just thought um, it was a really kind of interesting look at uh, sort of, like, how to navigate your life and sort of, like, how sad you are maybe once you exit a successful relationship or maybe it wasn't so successful if you exited it. Um, but, like when you're when you're there and you think it's going well and sort of like a reflection on the things that you do alone versus the things that you used to do whenever you were in that relationship and being able to kind of decide whether you want to spend a lot of time looking back on those things or whether you want to move forward in your life and sort of like escape the memories of your past that you keep returning to and last but not least my favorite thing about the game is that you can make the main character smoke cigarettes at any point in the game. And the, <laughs> the animation for him smoking cigarettes looks really cool. So, like, you hold your finger on him, and a little, like, cigarette box pops up in the middle of the screen, and you, like, swipe a cigarette over from the box to his mouth, and he, like, raises it. And most of the game is, like, grayscale whenever you're not looking at the flashback. So it's really cool because he raises the cigarette to his face, and, like, the lighter sound is a really well-done sound effect. And then the orange light from the cigarette kind of, like lights his face up in this warm glow and it's really nice to see that and then he takes like a couple of drags off of it and that's it but and the animation is really cool for it but i just really like like literally um the second day i was playing it because i think it takes place over like three days i literally had him like stand up and get out of bed in his boxer shorts and then just lit up a cigarette right there on the edge of his bed as soon as he woke up in the morning <laughs> i was like yes this is the kind of life i would lead if i were depressed and drab and had just broken up with my girlfriend um but uh, I like it. It's short. It's kind of sad. Not cry sad. Um, but it's just like an interesting little little narrative slice that kind of shows you, um, you know, how you can navigate your life once you exit a relationship, whether that's reflecting on how good the relationship was and what you used to do with somebody in spaces uh, or moving forward with your life and trying to, um, I don't know, carry on in a way. Sounds interesting. Um, and of course, the Soviet Game Show does not advocate smoking. Please don't smoke, kids. Um, so is there like a point to it or is it just more of like kind of a flavor piece where you're just kind of like soaking in the mood? Like, is there actually like a, like a beginning, middle, end or is it just, you know, emo sort of a thing? <laughs> I mean, there is a distinct ending. Um, I mean, it has like a vibe. I think it takes place over three days and like or three or four days and like you wake up. You kind of do the same routine every day where you wake up, you get dressed, you leave your apartment. You can make coffee if you want. You can smoke as many cigarettes as you want. Um, and then you go and visit these places that you used to frequent with your girlfriend alone. And then once you visit all the places, there's like 
kind of like a final space you go to and then you can kind of decide okay. how you want the game to end so there's definitely like an ending but it just doesn't take very long to get there okay well that sounds pretty interesting i'm up for those like really short kind of um different approaches towards game design i mean i think just the exploration of like emotion relationships mood i mean this kind of seems kind of in the same vein as um florence that we talked about on the show a while ago so maybe we're on this new like renaissance of emo ios games <laughs> uh because there's actually one one more that i was going to suggest i haven't played it yet but it's called killing time at light speed i think have you heard of this one I haven't, but I'm literally writing it down on my notebook right this second. Um, check it out, because I plan to play that for the next show. Maybe we can both play it at the same time. Um, from what I understand, if this is the title that I've heard about, it's about uh, a person who is at, uh, like, a, like, on a different faraway planet or something, and so the messages they're getting from Earth are, like, delayed by, like, 100 years, so every uh... message they get is already, like, in the past, right? So they're... <sighs> They're kind of catching up. I mean, I think that's pretty much, I think that's what this game is, I think. So don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. I downloaded it. I think it was two, three bucks. I plan to play that for next show. So maybe check this one out. Maybe we can have a discussion. Maybe we can continue the hot streak of emo iPhone games and we'll just keep doing that. But this sounds cool. I'm going to go download this. And especially if it's like 15, 20 minutes or whatever, that's just right. I can uh, certainly go to the bathroom for 15 minutes and get this thing knocked out. Oh my so. God. <laughs> not that I would actually be going to the bathroom. I would just be in the bathroom. Sometimes you need that little quiet time, you know? So cool. Cool. Any, uh, any final thoughts on the end of the world? How much was it by the way? A couple bucks? Oh, I can't remember. And because I already bought it, it doesn't show yeah, whenever totally. I look it up on the app store. I can't imagine it was anything more than like three or $4. Cause I would not have picked up something on a whim. That was probably like $5 totally. plus. So yeah, totally. I'm assuming it's pretty cheap. All right, cool, cool, cool. That sounds good. Um, I will play that, and then let's circle back on Killing Time at Lightspeed. Maybe we can bring that up next show. We'll see. If that's the game I'm thinking of. I hope I'm not wrong. Uh, okay, moving on to my first selection of the day. I just wanted to do a quick wrap-up on Metal Gear Survive. Uh, I finished the campaign after we talked about it on the last show, and I actually wrote a full review for the game, which is up on Game Critics. I wrote a second opinion. The first uh, main review was written by uh, Zach Zwiesen, who is uh, one of our newer guys, but he's a great writer, good guy. Uh, so his original is up there, and my second opinion is also up there. So we've covered this game twice at Game Critics. And I got to say, I love this game. It is such a good game. I, I waxed uh, lyrically about it last episode. I'm not going <laughs> to recap that whole thing, but a really great blend of well-thought-out survival elements, really great use of the Metal Gear franchise. I know there's still people who are really, really mad about this thing, that it even exists. Well, I really liked it a lot. I thought it was great. Um, I want to give the team props for what they turned out. And I just, I, I, it's been a long time since I've enjoyed and been th so thoroughly engaged in a game as this one. I mean, I think part of it was like, it was the right game at the right time. Maybe I wouldn't have enjoyed it if I had played it three months earlier or three months from now, but I was absolutely in the mood for something like this. And this was, you know, the thing that fit the bill, but I mean, just really, really well done. I, I enjoyed the gameplay all the way to the end. There were definitely some very challenging sequences. This is not a cakewalk. Um, I know some people were uh, complaining that sneaking up on zombies was way too easy and that you didn't really have to be strategic or stealthy. Uh, I kind of call bullshit on that because there are many times when I felt like I was constantly on my toes uh, trying to get one over on the zombies. And then when you do some of the defense missions, I mean, most of the time you're just walking around an open world. You can dodge zombies, run away, or you can sneak up on them. Uh, sometimes they're at your objective, sometimes not, but you know, it's pretty easy to avoid conflict if you want to, but there are certain missions where you have to defend something. 
And those missions, wow, some of those get really fucking tough. Uh, there was a couple where I'm like, oh my God, these are super challenging. Uh, so it's not like the game is a total cakewalk. There's definitely some challenge to be had there. Also, uh, the story, I know I talked about the story being pretty good last time. Now that I've seen the entire story, I was actually even more impressed by it because uh, I know people want to talk about how Kojima's a great writer, yada, yada, yada. Not disputing that, but I think he's not a perfect writer and he could definitely learn a few things about being clear, about, you know, being more straightforward at times. I mean, like delving like neck deep into lore and having these weird r references and these weird illusions is not always the best way to tell a story. And uh, I know people like him for that. And that's great. I'm not taking that away from you, but it's not good for everybody. And I feel like the story in Survive was very straightforward, but in a good way. I was easy to follow. It made sense. When there were twists and turns, they were well explained, and I was never scratching my head about, wait a minute, what's this? Who's this? What happened here? Like, it was all very clear, and it was very neat, very tight, very well done. Really appreciated the story that it told. And after I finished the game, I uh, was dinking around a little bit more. I felt like I wanted to play a little bit more. There is some post-game content. There's some extra quests you can do. If you want to, you definitely don't need to, but there's like some high level stuff that you can do. Um, I didn't do any of that, but I uh, was like fixing up my base a little bit more. I wanted to like, I don't know, just like fix it up the way I wanted to fix it up. And then I would just like be done with the game and put a bow on it, which was fine. So I did that. That was pretty satisfying. Got to rearrange all my furniture, got to put in a garden, got to, you know, make it look all nice and pretty. And then I called it good. And at the end... I went over to YouTube uh, to see if there were any extra endings. There was one secret ending, which I didn't get, but I watched, and that was pretty neat. And there was also... Um, uh, somebody did a video of, like, the top 25 things you didn't know about the game. And I was just, like, totally blown away by how many of these things I literally had no idea were in the game. I mean, kind of typical for the Metal Gear series, where there are these weird interactions or weird little quirks where if you use a certain piece of equipment, or if you do a certain technique, or if you're in a certain place, or something like that, these little things happen... And I was surprised how many of these things I had no idea were in the game. And I had completely finished the game. So it's just a testament to say how well done this game is, how much thought and care they put into it, and how detail-oriented they were. I mean, it was just really, really impressive to see how many things I missed. And I felt like I got a very full, rich experience out of it. I didn't feel like I missed anything. And so when I went back and watched the video, I was just like, wow. You know, hats off to these guys for coming up with all these things that I never engaged in. But they're there, and they make the game richer for it, so it was pretty cool. Um, overall, I think this game is great, dude. I mean, I get that survival is not everybody's jam. I get that some people are just going to be permanently angry about the whole Kojima-Konami situation. I get that, but at the same time, uh, this is a really well-made game. I loved it, and I had, like, the best time with it, so I'm really glad I played it. I'm really glad I didn't listen to the haters, and I have nothing but good things to say about it. So if you are the person who is inclined towards survival gameplay... This one is like at the top, dude. I think this one is, is just the best. Really, 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 really enjoyed it. So whenever it comes to the secrets and stuff, um, and like the stuff that maybe you didn't know about the video you watched, um, how much of that, of the secrets in the game, lend itself simply to the fact that the game world is open and it's like huge? Was a lot of it like corners of the map that you didn't explore or was it like situational stuff? No, a lot of it was like using equipment in a way that I didn't think to use or it was like moves that you could do. Like you have this like jumping slide that I didn't know you could do. Never used it once throughout the whole game, but you could do it. <laughs> um, there are these little uh, 
like pieces of equipment. It's like a cardboard. It's a piece of cardboard. And if you, it's one of the secret items that you can find if you do thorough exploring. And it's got a picture of a zombie with an arrow on it. And if you set that up, zombies will see that and they will follow the direction of the arrow. So if you're getting swarmed by zombies, you stick these pieces of cardboard up with arrows and the zombies are so stupid, they follow the direction. So you can actually like herd them to where you want them to go. Get them right into your traps and shit. I'm like, oh, dude, that's so cool. And there's like all these other things like different uh, helmets you can get that were pretty neat and um, just different uses. There was like different ways to approach things, different ways to use your spear that I didn't think about, different uh, uses for some of the uh, buildings that you can have. You can make like these ramps, you can make sandbags, you can make towers. I didn't use any of those things. And those guys in the video were showing, oh, you can use it to do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, oh, my God, I never thought of that. And I just like, oh, I wish I had known. I mean, it didn't matter because I still enjoyed the game. and I still played it and finished it. But there, there were just like many uses for things that I just never really even thought of, you know, or like some of the sheep. You can get these sheep and you can keep them in a sheep pen. Some sheep give you like certain types of resources. Other sheep give you different kinds. And I didn't realize that until like almost the end of the game where it really depends on what kind of animal you get. And I was like, wow, there's just like all of these little touches, which if you know about them are great and you can use those to your advantage. I mean, not necessary, but like just, you know, you don't see that kind of detail in most games. It was a very thorough system, very well thought out, lots and lots and lots of little, little details that are just there because the developers care. So, I mean, stuff like that was just really super impressive to me. I am very happy that you had such a positive experience about this game. And I wish that, Everything you said would make me more interested in playing this game, but uh, I am not. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Survival gameplay is not everybody's cup of tea. And to be perfectly honest with you, it's not really in general my cup of tea either. It has to be a very, very, very well done, very balanced, um, very like non-punitive sort of setup. And I think most survival games don't get that balance right, and so I don't play many of them. I don't really like them in general. Uh, but this one I felt like was great. Very good balance of where just deprived enough, but you had enough to keep going. You never felt really like super defeated and the combat was good. You had lots of options. I mean, it just was very flexible, very in-depth. And I felt like it was very conducive um, to getting in there and digging around and playing with it. So I, I liked it a lot. It was very rewarding. Although, like I said, survival, not generally my thing. And I understand why most people, you know, where a lot of people would bounce off of it because it is its own genre for sure. But overall, really good stuff. I loved it. I had the best time with Metal Gear Survive. I think it was like one of my favorite games of the year. Just really enjoyed every minute of it. And if there was DLC, I would buy it in a heartbeat. And if there was more of the campaign, I would play more. So I just really, I dug it, dug it, dug it, dug it. So that is my wrap up on Metal Gear Survive. Thumbs up on that. Uh, you have a wrap-up yourself, sir. You, last time we talked, we're playing Far Cry 5. I'm assuming you finished it by now? I did. I finished it last night, to be 100% uh, honest with you. I have heard a lot about this game, um, especially about the end game. Should we do a spoiler section, or should we avoid spoilers? I want to do a spoiler section, I think. Okay, how about we'll just do it right now and then we'll put up timestamps. So, folks, we are doing an impromptu spoiler section. Heads up for Far Cry 5. If you don't want to be spoiled, please look at the show notes because we do talk about God of War after this uh, after this segment. So you will have some non-spoiler stuff to listen to afterwards. But please uh, don't spoil yourself. Check out the notes that Corey will provide. And we are going to begin spoiler talk on Far Cry 5 in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Go! <laughs> Tell us all about it, Corey. 
Okay, so the last time we talked about this, um, I had mentioned that something that really cool that had happened in the game was there was like an emergent gameplay section where I thought I was like exploring the map and going to a mission, and then all of a sudden somebody hit me with like a sleeping dart, and it kind of funneled me into like a like a story situation. Do you remember me talking about that? Yeah, vividly. Yeah, I totally remember that. Okay, so that was really cool. Until it happened like nine other times in the game. Oh no! Yeah. Ubisoft. So no. what I I know it's awful. So what I failed to realize whenever I was playing this was that the game. I mean, obviously, I knew the game was set up. There's three territories on the map, and you're supposed to you know do the normal open world game thing where you kind of like do main and side missions and overtake outposts and stuff like that in each quadrant until you are not quadrant because there's three of them um, in each uh, territory. So until you build up enough, like, um, I don't know, enough of a resistance in order to do, like, the boss for that area. And something that the game does is every territory has, like, kind of, like, three... It's kind of like an XP bar. And once, you know, you fill it all the way up, then you can go fight the boss or go, like, conquer the area completely. But uh, in the XP bar, there's, like two or three little like diamonds in the middle that kind of signify like tiers of getting up to um, where you can, you know, actually go and fight the boss. What I didn't realize was that every time you hit one of those diamonds in the progress bar, one of these emergent gameplay sections happens. And so I thought it was just like a random thing that was happening. But if you have, you know, three uh, progress humps per territory and you have three territories, it's basically become super rote really quickly. And Fuck, they did it every single time? Seriously? Yeah, and they did it multiple times in every territory. Like, Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it got really old really fast. And, I mean, thank goodness almost every cutscene in the game is skippable, so I was able to skip most of, like, the bullshit in the middle uh, because the writing is so just, like, painfully average. Um, but it just it kept happening over and over again, and each, like, boss of the territory has their own kind of, like, like thing which is really dumb like one of the bosses she's like the sister and her name is faith and her whole territory is about how they are how the church is making this like narcotic like airborne kind of drug thing and it's like kind of like poisoning and brainwashing the people to join their their cults or their religion or whatever you want to call it so a lot of her missions are like about you know, finding these flowers that made they use to make these drugs and, like, about doing experiments on, like, the drugged people because they kind of sort of act like zombies um, whenever they're drugged. I mean, I guess, like, kind of like uh, like 20 Days Later zombies, not, like, slow zombies. Um, right, right, right. But, uh, and so, like, so her thing is all about, like, drugs and illusion and about, like, a hallucination. So every time she catches you she like breathes this like drug into your face and then it like makes you pass out. And then she like puts you in some kind of like, like, like trial type of thing. And basically you have to do the same thing like over and over again. And then once, you know, you end up finally killing her and then that section is over with. And like the last or the third guy, his whole thing is like this like time trial thing. And so like when he captures you, he puts you into this like, this like um i don't know it's kind of like a house like a cabin and you go through and you like pick up a gun and there's like a time limit that's counting down and you have to like oh, kill God. soldiers this sounds, this sounds stupid dude this it's, sounds it's really awful stupid. it's really stupid okay. like you have okay. to kill soldiers in order to keep the time up and 
and you literally have to do it like three times. Like you do it once, then you do a bunch of main and side missions, then he captures you and you do it again. And then you do a bunch of main and side missions and then you level up and then he captures you again and then you do it again and then you finally get to kill him. And so the whole thing just gets like super repetitive and like super rote and super annoying. And like all of the story bits that are happening in this game are just really, really dumb. And do I'm ready to go full on like telling you about the ending of the game if you want to hear about it. Oh, yeah, dude, I'm not going to play this game at all. I mean, I had a really (laughs) great experience with Far Cry Primal, but that one is like the outlier. And I think it has not very much in common with the rest of the game. So I I have heard more than enough to make me never, ever, ever play Far Cry 5. So please feel free (laughs) to uh, spoil me on the ending. I've heard many people say that it was like the worst ending they've ever seen and that it was a very poorly written ending and they just were really mad by the ending. So I'm very curious to hear uh, your take on it. But please uh, have no fear. Spoil away. I'm never going to fucking play this game. Okay, so the so I want to make it clear that I think there are multiple endings of the game, and I've only I only did one of them because they don't allow you to have multiple save slots to go back and like try different endings. So, so at the end of the game, you've basically spent the entire game sort of like rescuing people that are held hostage that in turn give you main missions in the game. And so you rescue, like, three or four people in Territory A, and then, like, three in B, and three in C, and then you get all your main missions from them. And then at the end of the game, like, the big final objective is to go back to the main church in the center of the, uh, like, the compound to kill the last guy who's, like, the cult leader, or to, like, apprehend him or whatever. Like, I'm not really sure what all the options are. So you get there and you like open the doors to the church and he's standing there and he does this whole like big monologue because the people that write these games think they write the most compelling dialogue ever. And it's actually like awful all the time. So there's this whole like (laughs) monologue that he gives you about like, um, you know, like how you killed all his family. And so he's going to like kill all of yours and blah, blah, blah. And then you turn around and like half the people that you have spent the entire game saving are now like under the influence of the drug from the sister and they're holding the other half of the people that you saved hostage and they've like tied them up. It's so stupid. So they tie them up and then the boss battle, like the mechanical boss battle ensues. And basically all of the people that you've saved over the game are now your enemies and you have to shoot them until they pass out and then you revive them. And then suddenly they're on your team again after you revive them Meanwhile, you're also shooting the main bad guy who like pops in and out and just kind of like disintegrates into midair whenever he feels like it. So it's got this whole like awful like drug induced like fever dream thing going on. And then at the end of it, after you've revived all of your people, you finally shot him. Keep in mind that the last boss is not wearing a shirt. You have to shoot him about 600 times to kill him. I don't know (laughs) how that factors in. I'm not really sure uh, what his body armor, his like Jesus body armor that (laughs) he's wearing or something. So I don't really know. But so eventually you, well, you don't kill him. You kind of like knock him down enough so that he's too weak to get up. And then he kind of, like, does this other, you know, ending boss monologue thing. And then you, he, like, sets off a nuclear bomb on the island. And so, like, way out in the distance, this, like, bomb goes off. And this, like, mushroom cloud goes up in the, you know, in the distance. And you scramble to get everybody into some trucks. And then you drive, like, toward the main bunker that's in the middle of the island, which is kind of, like where you start the game once uh, I thought you were in Montana. Are you on an island? 
Uh, oh, it's Montana? Montana. Yeah, it's sorry. It's not an island. I just want to say island because. Um, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, it's I not know, like full. Maybe there was an island. I yeah, don't know. Full like, disclosure, not an island. There are islands in <laughs> the in the vicinity of the place, but um, it's like it's like a. What's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, like when there's like mountains surrounding the entire area. Um, I don't know, like a like a it's like a big valley or something. Yeah, I guess. Um, and so like it's kind of like cut off from humanity. It's not an island, but it's like that. Okay. So, okay. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> um, and so like you're trying to like drive this truck to like get out in front of you know like the mushroom cloud and the stuff that's exploding behind you to get to this main bunker that's in the middle of the valley. You get, like, most of the way there, and then, like, in a cutscene, a tree falls down, and you, like, hit the tree head first, and then you wake up after, like, being passed out in the cutscene, and you are, like, everybody in the truck is dead, the main bad guy is nowhere to be found, and then he, like, appears outside of the car and, like, opens the door, and you're, like, really injured, so he, like, picks you up, and he carries you to the... Uh, he picks you up and he carries you to the to, into the bunker so that you guys can be safe. And then he like starts talking about how like he's gonna like raise you to like fight with him or like he's gonna be you're gonna be like his new child and you're gonna be like a team. And then it's over. Wow. Wow. That that sounds like something else, dude. Yeah, it was so stupid. Like, I'm really glad that I was, like, skipping all the cutscenes up to that point because this game story is just really super, like, D-tier, god-awful. Like, I, I I mean, I'm really, like, I, as much as I hate to say this, I mean, I'm sure am glad that Trump was elected president because they got to ride that PR wave for this entire game and which I mean apparently worked because this is like the best selling game in like Ubisoft's history. But like the story is not like it just doesn't have like really anything to do with anything that they were pitching. And so it's just like I don't know. It's just so dumb. Like this is kind of the situation that I had with the Evil Within a few weeks ago where like the story is like dumb as hell, but the gameplay is like just like like warm enough for me to stay engaged because I'm all for the gameplay here, like running around, shooting guns, sneaking into bases, using a bow and arrow, you know, sniping people from towers and stuff. But God damn, anytime a cutscene came in, I could not like, I was hitting that skip button so hard. I think I nearly broke a finger. Sounds like this game has kind of collected all of the bad habits, like of both the Far Cry franchise and of Ubisoft, because I've played almost all the Far Cries and I generally don't like them. Primal is the only one that I like. And it just sounds, and Ubisoft, I mean, for a while, they were like the worst publisher. I know that they're kind of in better graces now, but like, man, they were guilty of recycling and just being really derivative of their own work and repeating stuff and like cookie cutter objectives. It sounds like they've just got like all the worst shit of their past history wrapped up in this one that just sounds awful dude yeah i mean it's just like i mean from far cry 3 up to this point with primal aside because primal is kind of like its own beast but even primal has a lot in common with these like there's it's just hard for me to believe that this friend well okay maybe it's not hard for me to believe it just it bothers me that the franchise could be going for this long and keep getting more successful as it goes on and, like, literally doing nothing to innovate itself in any way. Like, if you put Far Cry 
5 in front of me and Far Cry 4 and Far Cry 3 and let me play each one of them for like five minutes, I probably would not know which one I was playing. Um, you know, if like the graphics weren't slightly different. And like the worst right, thing right. about the environment of 5 is like this one takes place in Montana. Most of the games take place in some like you know, like Paradise Island or something. The thing about this one taking place in Montana is like the, the regions of the map don't even look that different. Like pretty much anywhere you're at in the game looks exactly the same as everywhere else you are in the game. Like at least with a game like Horizon Zero Dawn, it has like, it's really distinct like winter areas and it's like summer areas and it's valleys and it's mountains and it's trees. Like there's a lot of variation in um, you know, in the different places you can go. But in this one, or in, uh, in Far Cry 5, it's just, like, everywhere you go looks exactly the same. It's just so boringly designed. What is up with the fucking drug obsession, too? It seems like in every single Far Cry game, I think literally every single one, there are at least a few scenes where someone's in, like, some kind of a drug-induced, like, hallucination or drug coma or weird behavior because of their altered state. Like, what the fuck? Like, do the people who like are running the Far Cry series have this like weird drug obsession? Like, it seems like to come up all the time. <laughs> it seems to me like the people that are writing the Far Cry games are like perpetually like thirteen years old, and they think that like drugs are still like cool and like interesting and make for like cool plot devices and. I man, I maybe I should just look up the writers for this game because they just seem like the most average white guys on the face of the earth. And they have put out just like game after game that's just like so averagely written. And, you know, the stories are just not interesting at all. And I don't know. It's just really like I like, well, something that I actually want to discuss like as this and we can use this as a jumping off point is like what I want the next Far Cry to be, because like. Three, four, and five are very nearly copy and paste of each other. Primal is a lot different because obviously it's primal. It's, you know, there's no like guns and shit. But like I was thinking about what I wanted the next Far Cry to be. I mean, obviously, I'm sure everybody at Ubisoft is listening to this podcast. They're probably going to make the exact game that I'm about to pitch for them. Um, I know we carry a lot of weight in the game development community over we here. We do. People, people listen to what we say. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was thinking that in the future... Um, I would love for a Far Cry game to sort of fill that void in my heart that has been missing since I completed Crisis 2. And Crisis 2 is one of my favorite shooters of all time. I played the hell out of that game on Xbox 360. And I would really kind of like to see Far Cry go in a slightly more futuristic direction. I mean, it doesn't have to be like, you know, Far Cry in space or, you know, Far Cry in the Matrix or anything, but just like... Something that's not like revolvers and trees, you know, maybe something a little more interesting, maybe a little more of a cityscape. Maybe you're fighting aliens in part of it or some kind of alien entity rather than fighting like, you know, one, I don't know, like hick after another. or Drug one, induced like, comatose zombie hicks. Yeah. Like, God, what fucking stupid idea is that, dude? Oh, my God. Yeah, I just I would like them to take the series into a little bit of a different direction and maybe like a slightly futuristic direction because most of their games are very present day, um, except for, you know, primal, obviously aside. So like, I'm just hoping that in the next one, they just do something a little bit different. It's just so repetitive. And so like rote at this point that it's getting really old. I mean, the lucky thing for them is that 
they only put these games out once every like three years or something or two or three years. So, you know, it's not like Assassin's Creed where it was literally like the same game every single year on the same day. Like they're kind of saving grace is that they're spacing them out slightly. So like by the time I get a new one, I kind of like forget how boring the old one was. And I'm like, oh yeah, (laughs) let me play this again. Like a new Far Cry, this will be fun. And then once I finish it, I'm like, oh yeah, that was exactly like the last one I played. And I mean, like, like I said, the gameplay is fine, but they just need to do something else with it. Well, you know, themes and writing and narrative and characterization are all very important. I mean, I think it would be... I mean, you could certainly put out a Far Cry where there was no story and it was just mechanical, like, you know, the stealth and the hunting and the shooting. I mean, that I don't know, maybe that would even be better than what they keep putting out because it seems like, you know, it seems like most people are pretty agreeable to the gameplay that Far Cry presents. But, like, man, I hear nothing but bad things about the story and i mean from my own perspective primal is the only one that i ever bothered to finish because i just didn't like the characters and story in any of the other far cry games so i think they really need to like take a hard look at like what they're doing like get off of this weird fucking script track that they're on they keep they seem to keep doing the same thing over and over in in certain ways and just i mean if the gameplay works stick with that but yeah like you said change it up maybe change the formula get new themes have a game where no one's going into like a drug stupor do something else i mean uh, it just sounds like Ubisoft is just really like stuck on their bad habits with this series. So that's disappointing. I mean, I, I was already not going to play it just based on things I've heard. You have like 1000% cemented the fact that I'm never <laughs> going to fucking play this game. So that is a shame. And I, you know, you're not alone. I've heard many people say that they felt really uh, like the gameplay was fine, but that they were really uh, not happy with the ending and really not happy with the story. Uh, I mean, especially since they, like you said, they kind of rode that wave, whether it was intentional or not, but you know, with the, the right wing kind of like coming into power with Trump and everything in America, it seemed like they were going to be in a perfect position to make some commentary, uh, maybe something along the lines of like what uh, Wolfenstein had been doing. Uh, but instead to hear that instead of having these right wing extremists, it's like hicks who are high on drugs and zombies is just like seems to me like the most cowardly way out. I mean, if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to make political commentary, then don't, because that's fine to not do that. But to like to kind of make the attempt or like look like you're going to go that way and then kind of veer left at the last minute seems really cowardly to me. So I, I, it seems like that was a very poor decision. I don't know how much of that happened last minute or if that was their plan all along, but it seems like a really cowardly direction to go. So in any event, I'm not going to fucking play this game. Any final thoughts before we move on, Corey? Uh, I don't think so. Or wait, wait, wait. Let me ask you real quick. Are you, are you glad you played this game now that you've finished it? Do you feel like it was worth your time? Are you happy you, you saw it all the way through? Or should you have, uh, would you, your time have been better spent doing something else? Um, the lack of interesting games to play in my life currently makes me feel like I'd, I mean, I don't feel like I regret playing this game. Um, however, if I had had like something come in the mail from Gamefly, you know, like another game or something that had become, that was better, I might have quit far cry but the fact that i didn't have anything like super pressing um kind of made me want to play it more and i mean i don't regret it like the gameplay is fine enough to keep me in i'm just glad that the cutscenes are skippable Ugh, gross okay all right well enough of far cry 5 uh, i think it's probably the last we're gonna be talking about it on this show let's move on we got one more game to cover and we are on a little bit of a time crunch um so the game that i will be discussing now the brand new God of War uh, from Santa Monica Studios and from Sony. Uh, the review embargo is actually up, even though the game is not out yet. 
this was kind of a bold, brave move on Sony's part because they did drop the review embargo like a full week before release. A uh, very strong show of confidence that they feel like they've got a winner on their hands. And I have not had the game for that long. Uh, I got it maybe three days ago. So I have not finished the game yet. I feel like I'm probably three quarters of the way through the game. Uh, but since review embargo is not in effect anymore, I can say pretty much anything that I want to say about this game. So feel free to interrupt me at any point, ask questions or whatever, and I'll just kind of un unroll it real quickly here. Um, as, as most people probably are aware, this is the brand new... It's not necessarily a reboot because it does continue the story of the previous God of War games, but it is a reboot in the sense that they are totally reimagining the mechanics, totally reimagining how the world works, totally reimagining the character. Uh, as anybody who is familiar with God of War knows, uh, the stars Kratos, who is a Spartan, and he, back in the day, was tricked into killing his family uh, and also given the powers of a demigod, I guess, uh, in this kind of like revenge plot thing. So he was basically like video games, like angriest guy for like a long time. Like all <laughs> he did was really growl and snarl and killed people with like extreme prejudice. And his games were fairly graphic and fairly bloody. And he had those very famous blades on the end of chains that he swung around and cut people into like a hojillion bits. Uh, so that was basically where Kratos was in the past. Have you played any of the older God of War games, Corey? Are you familiar with the series? I've played, I think the only ones I've finished are the very first one and the first PSP game, Chains of Olympus. But I have dabbled in, I think, two and three, but I don't think I finished either of them. Real quick divergence, I, I want to tell this story just for like two seconds. Um, I was at the E3 when they actually revealed the very first God of War at the time, and it was a huge success. I mean, it was pretty revolutionary in some ways, the way that they approached combat, the way they approached the mechanics, uh, the cutscenes and stuff. I mean, it was it made a huge splash. It was very, very, very successful. Uh, so I was there at that E3 when they revealed it to the world for the first time, and I remember uh, being at the, the booth where they were showing it, and I was watching... Uh, this game, seeing it for the first time, checking it out. And it felt like somebody was sitting, was standing kind of close to me behind me. Like they were kind of like encroaching on my personal bubble, you know? <laughs> and so I turn around to see who is uh, at my back. And guess who it was, Corey? It was none other than Hideo Kojima. Yes, it was. I was like, <laughs> oh, hey, Hideo Kojima is literally standing right next to me because he was just as curious about this game as everybody else was. And so we were all crowded in to check it out. And I definitely remember turning around and being like, oh, wow, like, I'm curious about this game. Kojima's curious about this game. Everybody's <laughs> curious about this game. We're all checking it out here at E3. It's a very, very cool moment. Anyway, so here's here's the situation. Um, they're reimagining all the world mechanics, gameplay, et cetera, et cetera, but they are carrying the story forward. So in the time between the last God of War game, which I want to say was God of War 4, or maybe there was a 5, I honestly can't recall, um, the series got really stale by the end, I gotta say. The first two were pretty good. The last couple were pretty not good. Um, went to the well too many times on that one. Uh, but anyway, what happens is, in the, in the intervening years, Kratos has gotten older. He remarried and had a new son. Because remember, his he killed his own family in the original game, so he, had, he was back to being a bachelor for a while. Uh, so he remarried in... Uh, I, I feel like it's in the Scandinavian countries. I feel like Michael's going to yell at me again because I'm getting this wrong. <laughs> um, hi, Michael. 
Uh, but it's like Scandinavia or Norway or wherever it was. It's one of the, I, they don't they don't really say, but it's like it's one of those countries where they have like the the Norse god pantheon of like Odin and Zeus and Loki and all those guys. So he is hiding out from the Greek gods by being in this area, and he his wife has died. This is not a secret. It's not a spoiler. It is like it's been known for a long time that the wife is dead as soon as you start the game. Uh, and he is in charge of his son. As people might guess, he has not been the world's greatest father. Uh, he rips dudes up for a living, really super angry, not a lot of child-rearing skills. And so when the wife dies, you are left with your son, whose name is uh, Atreus. And he looks like he's maybe, I don't know, 10, 12? I mean, he's a pretty small guy but he's also old enough to be capable and to have his own thoughts and to have his own it's not like kratos is changing diapers or anything i mean <laughs> atreus has uh he's he's competent so that's where you pick the game up and the story of the game is basically kind of kratos realizing that the wife is no longer around he has to step up and be a father he has to be a parent and his way of parenting is to train atreus into being a warrior because that's really all kratos knows and he's not very much in touch with his sensitive side, so he's he's not good with words, he's not good with emotion. And so part of the game, a lot of the game, is about them working on their relationship. Like, how is Kratos going to be a father? How does Atreus react to a father who's always been absent? Or when he wasn't absent, he's kind of, kind of terrible. I mean, what do you do with that? So mechanically... God of War used to be kind of like a top-down sort of a game. I mean, it kind of, the camera moved around a little bit, but basically that's kind of how it was. Uh, and this time it is a behind-the-back third person. Kind of reminds me of like Resident Evil 4 a little bit. And instead of his trademark blade chains or chains of chaos or whatever they were called, he just has an axe. And so this axe is a magical axe given to him uh, from his wife. You can, of course, hack people up with it. There's like a light attack, a heavy attack. You've got a shield that you can... Uh, I think the shield is from one of the earlier games, if I'm not mistaken, that you can block things with and it repels uh, projectiles when you level it up. He can also throw the axe. And throwing the axe is like the big hook this time around. You can aim the axe anywhere you want, throw it. It goes like super fucking far. does a ton of damage when it hits whatever it hits. And then you can magically pull it back to your hand. So he can like throw it all around, comes right back to his hand, keep hacking dudes. And uh, he goes like that. As far as Atreus... I'm pretty sure that he cannot be killed. Um, I've been really kind of watching him. I'm pretty sure he cannot die. Uh, he has a magical... Okay, wait. They don't say that it's magical, but it seems to me like it's magical. Uh, because he never runs out of arrows. He just, like, he shoots his arrows, and then he recharges his arrows. And with so many other gods and mythical monsters and magical axes, it's not much of a leap to imagine that Atreus's arrows are magical, that they just respawn in his quiver and... He can shoot magic arrows and stuff. So I just, whatever. He doesn't run out of arrows. No big deal. Um, but he's actually super useful. And in some ways, I actually think he's better at combat than Kratos is. Because <laughs> all you got to do as Kratos is you aim at somebody, you push the square button, and then Atreus will shoot arrows from like far away. He never misses. So he's like a crack shot. He's got these arrows that are pretty strong and they stun people. So if there's like some guy that's far away or up on a ledge or something, you just have Atreus shoot him. And it's, it's actually like super effective. You can level up his arrows and his bow. And he gets to be pretty fucking deadly. So it's not like you're just dragging him around. I mean, he more than carries his own weight. So it's kind of the two of you going through the game. Um, that's that's the basics of it. Um, I have a lot more to say, but uh, any, any questions so far, Corey? Okay, so I, as someone who is not 
re- I mean, I'm open to the idea of playing this game, but I'm not really like a God of War fan. I, I mean, something that maybe we haven't mentioned so far is that the game has been getting like outrageously universal praise across the board, um, you know, as far as like review scores and Metacritic and all that stuff. And so far, I mean, I know you're going to explain the game some more, but so far what you're saying is not selling me on the game. And it's, it's not your job right now to sell me on the game, but like if like if I didn't know anything about the review scores and the praise and I just listened to you talk about this game being like a like combat slash raise your son simulator I am like very lukewarm to this right now so keep talking and I I have every intent of playing this game um it's on my games like you I'm gonna try to get it soon but um right now I'm not entirely sold yet well, let's talk about that for a minute, because like you said, the, the Metacritic scores have been like bananas. Like there's a <laughs> slew, a slew of perfect scores, like 10 out of 10 or 100 out of 100s. There's a bunch of those. There's a bunch of 95s. And I mean, the lowest score is an 80, which I mean, is pretty good. I mean, the Metacritic score right now is I think like 95 or 97 or something like that. So it's bananas. I'm already hearing people talk about this as like game of the year, like already. And I'm like, Let's take a breath, people. Let's just let's just take a breath. Um, I I feel like we're. I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad game, and I will I will go into my thoughts here in a minute. But I feel like we're all just kind of just jumping ahead a little bit too far, and maybe getting a little bit too excited. So okay, so first things first, the graphics on this game are fucking redonkulous. Like I literally like kind of gasped when I turned it on because like Kratos, his his character model is unbelievable, dude. Like it looks like so crazy like it's so detailed and it's so like natural looking i mean his beard his muscles the dirt on his hands the wrinkles on his face i was like holy shit like this looks like <laughs> like it totally makes you pause and i'm not somebody who is easily swayed by graphics but i i totally was like oh my god look at look how good this looks like it looks ridiculous the, the environment totally beautiful um i just like the graphics and the production values way 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 through the roof so i mean it's very easy to be initially blown away by how good it looks and i just have the basic ps4 on a basic tv i do not have ps4 pro i do not have an hd tv i can only imagine like how stunning this must be if you have all the bells and whistles uh because it looks fucking just batshit crazy amazing on my my basic basic setup so that that's a thing otherwise um i think Okay, so so here's here's the thing. Here's the weird thing. Um, I have a little bit of mixed feelings on this game, and I feel like I'm going to get a lot of hate mail, a lot of pushback for this. Oh, no. But uh, on the one hand, I feel like Kratos maturing as a character is awesome. I'm very interested in that. Uh, we talked about the dadding of video games a couple episodes ago. Um, I know that some people you know, have issues with that, and I, I, I agree that that's not what I want all of games to be, but I think it's interesting that we're having developers age, have kids, have families, and bringing those themes into games like we don't have just shooters anymore we don't just have you know uh big titty bikini girl fantasies and games anymore like we're actually seeing people who are trying to address other aspects of humanity which is great so i'm super on board with kratos aging and being the world's most fucking awkward awful dad and this kid <laughs> who like doesn't wants to love him but is being pushed away and how do you deal with that like a lot of the themes in the in that part of the game seem very on point and that's very, very interesting. Um, however, the strange thing about this game for me, the thing that I'm kind of bumping into is that they have actually kept a lot of the original God of War formula 
way more than I ever expected them to keep. So like when you look at the mechanics of how the game is laid out, you go from having this scene where your son is crying, you're trying to comfort him, you're too awkward and too much of a like tough guy, toxic masculinity warrior to even touch him. You can't offer him a hug. You feel like you should offer him a hug, but you don't because you, you're not comfortable with your feelings. And so there's this awkward silence and it's very touching, which I feel like is great. And the very next thing, oh, look, I just found this puzzle chest. I opened up, I found five gold and now I have 42 skills I need to upgrade. And I found this other collectible and we're doing all this like really tchotchke based collectible weird gameplay, gamey, gamey kind of stuff going on. And it's just such a whiplash for me to go back and forth between these really heavy emotional cutscenes and the core of the game, which is actually very faithful to original God of War, where you have a thousand skills, a thousand attacks. There's all this gear to level up. There's all this different gear to craft. You're collecting things. It just feels weird. It feels like they should have really paired all that stuff back and focused more on the narrative side. Um, so, a thing I didn't know about this game beforehand is it's kind of semi-open world, which I didn't really realize. Um, it's kind of a hub and spoke sort of a thing. It's not a, it's not an open world, but you go to like this main hub of the world. There's definitely like a million places to explore. There's all these hidden areas. There's side quests that you do for people. There's all these little challenges that you can do. There's all these like random bits of lore, these masks, these cups, these things to find, these bones, like all this stuff that just feels like stuff. Like it just feels like really... <laughs> Like, ineffectual, unimportant stuff. So, like, if you're the kind of person who likes busy work in a game, like, if you're a person that, like, 100%'s, like, all the collectibles, like, there's a shitload of stuff in this game, which isn't bad in and of itself, but I find it really hard to reconcile these two halves of the game. I feel like they don't come together very well. It's like they wanted to go in a new direction, which I'm really excited about the new direction, and I think they've done it pretty well, but they brought along a lot of the baggage from the old series, which I just don't feel like applies anymore. Um, and for me anyway, I mean, maybe other people don't have this problem, but for me in my head, I have a very difficult time switching from I'm fully engaged in the story. I'm fully engaged in this emotional journey to, oh, wait, now we're at the sassy shopkeeper. He wants me to find him five gold to upgrade my axe handle. And that's going to give me like 5% more ice damage on my axe. And let's do this real quick for like a while. And, oh, he wants me to do the side quest where I got to go find this like missing doodad that he left back in his vault back home. So let's go do that for a while. And it just, uh, what? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. I was really struggling with this game at the beginning. I just, I kept getting knocked out of my groove. I kept not being able to find a good emotional line for me to stay on. And so I just, I, it was a, I was struggling, man. I was really struggling with it. And so what I ended up doing was deciding to myself that the story and the narrative is the most valuable part of this game for me so far. And I decided to ignore all of the upgrades, ignore all of the side quests, ignore all of the things that were not on the critical path because it just, it really detracted from my enjoyment of the game. Like it was really hard to feel the emotional beats. It was hard to feel the pacing. It was hard to be on this journey. Um, and especially because Kratos every five seconds says, I do not care about these people. Their feelings are not my feelings. We do not care about them. So it's like, why would you do all these side quests? Why would you collect all this shit? He doesn't care. He tells you literally straight up 10,000 times, I don't care about these people. We don't care. Okay, I get it, dude. Like you're the world's angriest guy. You don't give a shit. <laughs> why are there so many side quests in this game? Why are you doing favors for these people? It doesn't make sense. So I stopped doing all this stuff. I literally just stopped engaging with it. Like if there was a piece of gold in my path, I would pick it up. If there was an item that was along the way from point A to point B, I would pick it up. And you just accumulate enough of that stuff just from walking that you can upgrade once in a while.
but it's like, I was not focused on it. I'm not tracking down uh, the side quests. I'm not helping people who are in help. I'm not doing these other things because it doesn't make sense with the story. So once I stopped doing all the side stuff and stopped like worrying about the upgrades and the crafting, I started enjoying the game a lot more and I think it makes a lot more sense. And I'm totally fine with a game telling a story, getting that story out of the way. And then when you're done with the story, if you want to play more or if you want to engage in those systems, then do it afterwards. Like get your narrative out of the way, come to the conclusion. And once that's satisfying, either let me go or if I want more, then I can do more at my own choosing. And that's, that's kind of how I'm approaching the game. So I feel like that, to me anyway, is the right way to approach it. And I'm just, I'm really surprised at how much garbage it feels like is in this game. How much extra stuff just doesn't need to be here. Um, 10,000 upgrades, 10,000 things to craft. All these like weird little stat increases and stuff that just feels like just really garbagey busy work that just gets in the way of the larger theme. So that to me was a pretty big surprise. I don't know if you had heard about that or if you knew anything about the open world-ish nature of the game at all. Have you heard about that? I had not. So very strange, very strange. Um, so once I got on my my idea of just crit pathing and doing the story, I definitely enjoyed it more. Um, that's not to say that it's perfect, though, because I feel like for all the times that they get the emotional beats right, there's just as many times when they rush through them a little bit too much. I mean, it's a real like kind of a high level criticism, because when someone says something that's really impactful and emotional, sometimes just having one or two moments of silence can really really hammer that home you know like when you're feeling something you just be with it for a moment and just kind of just simmer in it for a little while and it can really enhance the gravity and the the pathos of what you're talking about um i feel like they rush through that a little bit like they just they don't give it the the beat the breath that it needs like at one point um atreus is is, is mad at his dad because of something that's happened and i'm not going to spoil anything but you know they have this thing that happens and atreus is really mad this is the, probably the first time in the game when he actively like is angrily speaking against Kratos because he's kind of afraid of him and he's kind of he kind of wants his approval. He's kind of afraid of him. He's afraid of disappointing him. He's still sad that his mom has just died. And so he's in a real like delicate place and he just gets to the point where Atreus can't take it anymore and he's just pissed off. And even though he's like 12, he's going to let, you know, his dad know what he thinks of him. And it's a really powerful scene and I really thought it was really well done. The problem is that after Atreus gets done with this like emotional venting, it's literally like 0.5 seconds. And then he's like, okay, back to the quest. And I'm like, oh, dude, like, what the fuck? Like, that was such a good scene. Like, it was so heavy. And then immediately you're just like back on track. And it's like, let it breathe. Like, let it just be there. Let me wallow in that feeling for just a moment. Not 20 minutes of silence, but just like 10 seconds of silence, five seconds of silence, something to just make it feel like, you know, less breathless, less rushed. Um, but I still do think that's going in a very interesting direction. I, I'm not hundred percent on board with the gameplay, uh, because I think that while the combat is actually pretty cool, like throwing the ax, doing some of your combos, having Atreus jump in with his arrows, like that all feels pretty cool. It looks really cool. It feels pretty cool. It does feel a little bit shallow though. Like you're kind of fighting the same type of guys over and over. I wish there was a little bit more variety in the type of guys. And once I figured out a couple of good combos and a couple of good moves, I haven't really had to do anything else. Like I, there's like probably like literally not getting 20 or 30 skills that I'm just not using at all. And I have no interest in using because what I have works well and I don't need the game to be more complicated than it already is. <laughs> and it just feels like there's just too much systems, too many systems when they should be focusing on polishing the narrative, polishing the, the pacing of the journey, focusing on the humanity. I mean, you can still have the combat and still have the gameplay, but it just feels like uh, there was like kind of two separate teams working on this and they weren't exactly 
trading notes with each other until maybe the last minute. And it feels a little bit split down the middle to me. I mean, clearly other people don't feel that way because this game is getting, like I said, bananas, like 100, 100 scores, 10 out of 10, perfect scores, game of the year. Uh, it will not be my game of the year. I think it's very good in some ways. I think it's got some problems in other ways. Uh, it's interesting. I really like what they're doing conceptually, but I'm not sure that it really got all the way where I wanted it to go. Um, I still have about a quarter of the game left. I don't know how the story's going to wrap up. I don't know what's to come. Uh, so we'll see. I'm going to reserve final judgment. But so far, I mean, I definitely think it's worth playing if you're a person who is a fan of God of War or if you're interested about seeing like how parental themes are getting woven into modern game design. I mean, that, that's pretty interesting. Um, in terms of gameplay, though, like it feels a little too gamey for my taste. I wish they had scaled back a little bit, streamlined it a little bit more, and it probably would have been more impactful emotionally. But so far, I'm still interested, still playing it, and uh, I'm curious to see how it goes. Okay, so the alarm bells are going off like full force in my head right now. And can you guess the two games I'm thinking of right now as, you uh, as you're t sitting here talking through the details of God of War? I'm sure that The Last of Us is one of the ones you're thinking of. Ding, ding, ding. And the other one, oh gosh, I'm trying to think. Uh, it's not Eco, is it? Nope. I don't no, I don't think so. Uh, I'm going to kick myself. I don't know. What is it? Corey? Do you want me to start singing the Jeopardy theme song for you? Yeah, I give up, man. I don't know what it is. What's the other one? Uh, the Tomb Raider reboot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is a very... Yes, absolutely. It's, it's good that you mentioned that because I feel like they very much copied the Tomb Raider template in terms of actual gameplay. Feels very much like that, but then they grafted the gravitas of The Last of Us on top of Tomb Raider. So, yeah, you're, you're dead on. Like, your, <laughs> your Corey-isms are on point, dude, because if you took Last of Us characterization bolted it on top of tomb raider collectathon gameplay that's literally what this is so oh my god yeah you're you're right on target dude okay well i i am still interested in playing this and i have to be honest with you i cannot fucking wait to put this game in my ps4 pro and fire it up on my 4k tv and see what it looks like because i bet my eyeballs might just melt as soon as it comes on the screen um but everything you're describing sounds like how I felt about The Last of Us, where it was like, it came out and every it everybody had this idea of what it was going to be, and then it was that thing for everybody, and everybody loved it, and I didn't see a lot of like really like downer critical looks at it, and then I played it, did not really like it very much. For many, I mean, I liked it. I can't act like it's a bad game. I did not like it as much as everybody else, and it's pretty much for all of the reasons that you have stated so far with God of War, because like. With The Last of Us, I felt like they were trying to do this really emotional story, but then every five minutes it was, oh, let's shoot these zombies, or let's, you know, sneak around these zombies, or let's craft this bullshit bomb, or let's scavenge for materials. And whenever you're talking about letting moments breathe, that's exactly what I thought about with The Last of Us, where it was like, all right, Ellie and Joel are going to be in a fight, and then, oh no, the scene is over because zombies are rushing the building, or we're going to be arguing about something, and then, oh no, there's something outside that's trying to get in, so we're just going to brush past this emotional response and move on to shooting things. And, I mean, like, even with Tomb Raider, like, 
she murders, like Laura Croft murders her first guy and then cries about it for 30 minutes. And then she headshots <laughs> her way through the rest of the Killing fucking game. Machine. Yeah, without yeah, a single totally. emotional response. And so like, yes. I, I'm still, I'm still interested in God of War, but God, like everything you're describing is really tempering my expectations for me to just think it's good and not great. And I predict, I fully predict that you're going to finish this game. You're going to give it like a seven or 7.5 out of 10. It's going to be the lowest score on Metacritic and everybody (laughs) is going to freak the fuck out and think that you hate the game, even though you gave it like a 7.5. Yeah, totally. I mean, so, I mean, to be fair to Last of Us, I actually really liked The Last of Us a lot. I liked it way more than you did. And I it was actually my game of the year, the game of uh, the year that came out. So I, I have great affection for The Last of Us. But in comparison, I think there are a lot of parallels that you can draw between The Last of Us and God of War. And I got to be honest, I think that The Last of Us nails its emotional sections a lot better than God of War does. So if the relationship wasn't sold to you in Last of Us, I don't think it'll be sold to you in God of War because I feel like it's not quite as, as well done. Um, and not in, I mean, not in terms of scripting. I think the scripting was better in um, Last of Us, but also the pacing and the scenes that they had and the number of emotional discussions they had. I felt like th- that Last of Us was just better and had more natural feeling kind of conversations and was a little bit truer to the emotion. So... Uh, I feel like God of War is not quite as successful. Um, so that's the thing. I look forward to your thoughts on it. I would say temper expectations. It is not a bad game. I'm not saying it's a bad game at all. I just feel like the emotional side kind of conflicts with the gameplay side. And it's the gameplay side is not exactly the best way of reinforcing the narrative side for me. So I'm having a little bit of that that mixed mixed emotions. But, I mean, there's still like a quarter of the game left. I mean, it could have a real strong finish. We'll see how it ends up. I'm really grateful that they tried to do something. And it, very unexpected. I mean, Kratos was a very one-note character. Angry, angry, angry all the time. And so no one really expected anything like this. I think it's a very brave choice. And I'm very excited that they even tried to do something like this at all. Um, so I want to give him praise for that. But uh, I will check back. I feel like I will probably 100% for sure be done with the game by the time we've recorded our next episode. So I will do a follow-up and we'll see how it ends up. But yeah, I have a feeling that I'm going to be probably one of the only people on earth who like has any kind of criticism about this game, despite the fact that I think it's still a pretty good game, uh, par for the course. I'm expecting a wave of hate mail, but we will see. So that's all I have to say about God of War for now. I will definitely check back in and, uh, any, any final thoughts before we wrap up here, sir? Um, I have more to say, but I will wait until we do your next check-in and we can discuss it. Cause we're on a little bit of a time crunch right now. All right, yeah. Other, if we weren't in a time crunch, I would definitely make you spill your guts right now, but we do have a little bit of a time crunch. Uh, so jot those notes down. Uh, make note of it. We will definitely talk about this next week for sure. We'll pick it back up, and I'm sure that I will be talking about... We'll do a spoiler section, I'm guessing, because uh, the game will be out by then, and I will have finished it. So we'll, we'll probably go into complete spoilers. Um, so anyway, um, sorry to wrap up a little bit short, folks, uh, but like we said, we do have a little bit of a time commitment, and that will bring us uh, to the end of our show. Uh, remember, please stick around after the any music to hear tonight's banter. Uh, otherwise, feel free to bail, and we will catch you next week. In the meantime, please remember you can send us your comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like. So, video game podcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at Game Critics once the show gets posted to Game Critics. And we are also on Twitter as a collective at So Video Games. You can also reach us individually. My name on Twitter is my handle. It's at Brad Galloway, B R A D. G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. Corey, where are you on Twitter? 
I can be found also my first and last name. It's Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Excelente. And that brings us to the end of another So Video Games. We will be back next week with another installment. But in the meantime, this is Bye from Brad. And bye from Corey. We will see you guys next week. Just as a heads up to you, kind sir, and also, I mean, I guess sort of to the listeners, since I'm assuming they're going to be listening right now. Uh, my son has been really sick, like the last Oh, no. Two, yeah, the last two days, he's been super, super sick. So I had to cancel work this week, and I'll be staying home with him, and have been. And Gina has been, too. Uh, but, he, you know, usually when we record, I have the uh, Game Critics West studio to myself, and... Uh, <laughs> Unfortunately, he is too sick to go anywhere today, uh, so he's not here like at the moment. They just took like a little walk around the block to get some sunshine, uh, but you may hear them coming back in, and you may hear him like coughing in the background or something. So apologies to you, and also apologies to the listeners. I know that people can sometimes be really sensitive about like outside noise on the podcast, uh, and I am too. I mean, I, I get that, and we I think we do generally a pretty good job of keeping like real life noises out but i mean it's also real life and like my son has literally nowhere to go and he's super sick so please bear with me if you hear some i don't know papers shuffling or coughing or something like that it's we'll try to keep it to a minimum but heads up folks i i know that's gonna happen please don't send me an angry email you know sick kids happen so we'll, we'll just roll with it all right sounds like a plan cool man cool how you doing by the way uh pretty good um Patrick is out of town on a work trip this week, so he left yesterday, and I had basically am home for like a week by myself, which you would think, like, every time this happens, I, it doesn't really happen that often, but when stuff like this happens, I'm always, I always, like, <clears throat> imagine the possibilities of what I could do when I have the house to myself for an entire week, and generally don't do anything with those possibilities. Like, I think, like, oh, man, I could have friends over or you know i could do this or that or whatever i mean not to say i couldn't do those things while he's here but it's just more convenient you know i'm not like bothering him as much if like i do something like out of the ordinary and he's uh and he's not home and then i end up just like sitting around and like moping and like trying to think of what to do and like what video games do i want to play do i want to play video games at all do i want to sit on the computer all night do i want to do this and that and so it's like this world of possibilities with an empty house in front of me, and I like never take advantage of it correctly. Did you do uh, Gundams and beer? Um, I haven't yet. La so I thought, like last weekend, I thought he was going to go out of town on Friday and was going to be gone for like a week. But the thing, he basically had to go to a different nuclear. There's a nuclear plant up in Mississippi that he is going to because they're having an outage and it's all this nuclear stuff that I don't understand. But he's been... Well, he's, good, good Lord, get that guy up there ASAP. Let's not have any <laughs> nuclear emergencies. <laughs> well, get him up there now. Yeah, but like the thing is, is like they kept kind of like pushing back the days that they were going to like work on it. And I mean, I don't think it's anything like crazy. Like, you know, it's not going to like explode or anything, but... 
Um, but they just kept pushing him back. So, like, last weekend, I thought he was going to be out of town. So, like, I ordered a Gundam model kit online, and I ordered a real grade one, which is, like, a really... They're, like, harder to put together. And, like, I bought some beer, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is how I'm going to live it up on the weekend. We're home alone. I'm going to watch movies and drink beer and put Gundams together, because that's how much of a fucking nerd I am. And then it kept getting pushed back, so, like, he didn't... He, he ended up going out of town yesterday, so... But he will be out of town the weekend that's coming up. So I had the very tough moral decision on my hands if I wanted to put the gun to my order together last weekend while he was home and maybe buy another one for this weekend. But I decided to just wait. So the Gundam is still uh, wrapped in cellophane in the kitchen right now, just waiting for this weekend to come up so I can have my, I don't know, my like alone time at home putting Gundams together because that's <laughs> what I do, I guess. I've got I've got two things to this. So so first off, whenever you talk about Patrick at work, I mean I think you've mentioned him being some kind of like a nuclear, I don't know, nuclear engineer or nuclear I don't know technician or whatever it is he does. Uh, and I admit that I know the nuclear and I, I just don't know anything past nuclear. So like in my head, I have that like picture of like like the Simpsons where like Homer's sitting at like a table and there's only like one red button in the middle of the table and like all his <laughs> job is is to like if something happens, push this button and otherwise he just like stands there. I don't know if that's accurate. I'm guessing it's probably not accurate. Um, the second thing uh, is when you talk about your alone time, like maybe this says more about me than you, but like I would imagine you like running around your house in a Batman costume, like fighting crime all by yourself, <laughs> jumping off of the couch and pretending to, uh, <laughs> you know, swing from swing from various things on your ceiling. So are either one of those things accurate? Uh, the um, running around the house in a Batman costume is not. Um, I would perhaps maybe just put like. Batman Arkham City and the Xbox and play that instead and basically get the same experience. Um, the <laughs> Patrick working at the plant, um, he actually, I mean, his job is not to sit in a room and, you know, push a button or not push a button, but he, uh, whenever we used to, he used to work at the nuclear plant in Omaha, um, there, you know, he would actually liken the Simpsons to, uh, you know, there is an actual control room in a nuclear plant and, like, sometimes he would have to do control room stuff and I don't really know exactly what all that um, like what all that entails, but I know that like there is a real control room in nuclear plants that is not unlike the one in The Simpsons. However, I think there's a little bit more to it than just sitting there eating donuts and pushing or not pushing a certain button on the on the console. Because <laughs> that sounds like a pretty sweet gig. I kind of wish that's actually what it was because I would kind of want that job too. Although I suppose <laughs> I suppose the one time you have a bad day at work, it ends up being like a really bad day at work, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess. I think, like, I don't know. It, like, the funny thing for me is when people hear me talk about him being a nuclear engineer or when, like, he talks to other people about being a nuclear engineer, I mean, a lot of people have a similar response where they think that the work he's doing is, like, I don't know, maybe, like, really, like, urgent and critical and that it's, like, really dangerous. And, I mean, there are parts of his job uh, that are dangerous. Like, when he worked in Omaha, he was doing a lot more, like, like going around the plant with like a tool belt and like a like a hard hat and he had to do like fire brigade training and like all this stuff for like emergency situations and i mean i know people listening to the show have probably never seen patrick but you've seen patrick he's like 
He's like 5'9 and weighs about 65 pounds. So the idea <laughs> of him like being a fireman, because he like literally had to be trained as a fireman, because if something happens inside a nuclear plant, they cannot bring external firefighters in. They have to control the situation themselves. So like everybody that's on an emergency response team has to be trained as a firefighter. Um but he doesn't do that anymore. Like, uh, at a certain point in Omaha and the job that he got here, it's mostly just, like, he, like, literally, I think, sits at a computer, like, at a cubicle farm all day, which doesn't sound particularly, like, exciting as a nuclear engineer. But he does a lot more, like, clerical stuff that's not so—I mean, clerical is really putting it lightly. I mean, he's he's managing major things, like, uh, moves in the spent fuel pool and stuff like that. Um, but it's not, like— you know, really intense, like nothing like the plant's not about to explode at any second. And it's like all on his shoulders, you know, to make sure that half the United States doesn't go down and like a nuclear explosion or something like it's, <laughs> it's, it's much more like clerical E than, uh, than I think a lot of people, um, assume whenever they learn that he works at a nuclear plant. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, you can't be like having three mile Island every day. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, in my head, he's like, staring at like something that's glowing and he's like sweating and shaking and like you can't do that from nine to five every day that's crazy <laughs> you can't run a nuclear plant like that so i'm sure i'm sure that it's under control and i'm sure it's very fine but it's, it's funny that like you know i i just imagine that i'm sure i'm sure that is what most people think of because all we have is the simpsons honestly we don't really know anything <laughs> past nuclear nuclear technology besides what homer simpson does but uh, enough about patrick what uh what have you been up to man what's uh what's on your banter plate today well, I have really just one um, kind of, I mean, I, I'm hesitant to say major because it's not like major, but just one like real topic. And that is um, for the first time in a while, I get to bring a movie to the banter section, which is usually your job slash TV. But, um, oh, I'm excited. Yes. I want to hear all about this. Yes. yes, yes. Don't spoil me, but I want to hear everything about it. But don't spoil me and tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Deal. Okay. So I saw A Quiet Place on Sunday. I think it was on Sunday night, uh, maybe Saturday night. Irrelevant. It's irrelevant. I saw A Quiet Place over the weekend. And I, um, so like, I gotta be honest. So, okay, let me, hold on. I'm getting ahead of myself already. And I'm like five seconds into this topic. Um, <laughs> let me preface the movie and then I'll talk about it. So okay. f- for people that have not heard of A Quiet Place, it is a, it's kind of like a suspenseful horror movie, um, starring John Krasinski, who is famous from being on The Office and I've never seen The Office, so I don't know him from that. Oh but I know shit, I was going to ask you, have you ever seen The Office? No, I don't like, um, I mean, you know how often I watch TV, which is like not true, at all. True, true. And I, I don't like those sort of like documentary style comedies where it's like constant like fourth wall breakage and people like looking at the camera and stuff like that. So, and like, that's why I like 30 Rock a lot, but I never got into Parks and Rec because Parks and Rec is like the same thing where it's just like office shenanigans. So, um, I, I don't like that, the whole like documentary style thing, but he, he's from that, um, he directed this movie. I thought it was his directorial debut, but it's actually not. He's directed like three things before this. So, um, I think it's his, uh, third or fourth major feature film. And he also stars in it alongside Emily Blunt, who is his wife in real life, and they are married in the movie. Um, And basically, the movie is about sort of like a post-apocalyptic future where um, there there is some alien entity or an alien presence that has basically wiped out like most of the Earth. And the big thing is that the aliens uh, hunt by sound, and they're very, very sensitive to sound. So in order to survive, the idea is that you have to be as quiet as possible all the time. 
because if you make a noise, uh, basically the things will like come out of the forest and like kill you. And so it's kind of like a cross between like I Am Legend kind of meets maybe like I, I want to say Edge of Tomorrow just because Emily Blunt is in that also. And the monsters look like kind of sort of similar to the ones from Edge of Tomorrow. Um so, but it's basically like the whole hook of the movie is that like there's almost no speaking in it. There's a lot of sign language. There's a lot of silence. The sound uh, is used very thoughtfully in the movie. Um, but so they are a couple in the movie. They have two children, um, and one of the kids is actually a deaf uh, girl. Her name is Millicent Simmons, I think, in real life, if I'm not mistaken. And the cool thing about her is that she is actually deaf in real life, and she is kind of making it as an actress. She's only, like, 12 or something. She's really young. but um, So it's cool because, like, they actually, like, everybody in the movie uses sign language, and it's great because, like, she actually, you know, I'm assuming grew up learning sign language. Um, and so, like, a lot of the movie is about sort of just, like, their day-to-day -day life on this farm. They live in this farm in kind of, like, a rural area, and sort of like all the precautionary steps they take just simply to live their lives in this world where they can't really make a lot of sound. And so like one of the things is like they um, they leave trails of sand that go in from their farm to the town where they go to scavenge for supplies and they don't wear shoes because shoes are too noisy. So they walk on the sand because the sand like pads their footsteps so that they don't make too much noise and they use sign language and they don't speak and all this stuff. Um, but uh I originally, when I saw the trailers for this movie, I thought it was going to be really stupid. I was like, wow, like, what is Emily Blunt doing in this? Like, she's way too good for this movie. But then, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I, lo I love Emily Blunt, and I think she's a phenomenal actress. Like, I love Edge of Tomorrow, and I love Sicario, which she, uh, she's, like, kind of the lead in both of those movies, and she's just phenomenal. Um, and I thought she was totally going to be too good for this movie. But then it came out, and the critical reception has been, like, insane. Like, it has, like, a 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, and, like, everybody loves it. And and so if it hadn't been for the critical reception, I probably never would have seen this movie. But I decided to go see it based on what everybody has been saying. And, I mean, it's definitely a good movie. Like, I was not disappointed in the slightest whenever I left the theater. However, it is not a great movie, in my opinion. Like, it kind of suffers a tiny bit from like some of the rules that they set in the universe like kind of not making sense for convenient plot points and also because a lot of the movie's setup is based on kind of showing you the day-to-day -day way that this family lives in silence um they, it kind of, like, the central, like, problem of the movie does not happen until, like, pretty far into the movie because a lot of it is just, like, we're going to introduce to you how they live and how they act and how they eat and, you know, how they get to town and back and all this stuff. And, like, they're trying to figure out what the aliens are and if they can beat them and all this stuff. So it's, like, a lot of it is kind of, like, just, like, fly on the wall, like, watching them do stuff. And, I mean, it's interesting, and it's well shot, and it's well acted, and the sound design is really great. But the whole time, I was kind of like, okay, like, what's the what's the point here? Like, what what is the problem? What's the thing that's going to, like, set this movie in motion? And it gets there a little bit too late for me. But mm. with those gripes aside, I still think it's good. I still recommend it. Um, I don't... I used to be really big into horror movies whenever I was younger, and... I guess I must have just transitioned into horror video games instead. So I don't really watch a lot of horror films anymore. 
But uh, I'm glad I saw this one in the theater. And like, if you're going to watch this anywhere, the theater is probably the space to see it just because of how intricate the sound design is in the movie. Interesting. So I got a couple of questions. Although before that, I will say it's interesting you say that you transitioned away from horror movies into horror games. Because as we've covered so many times on the show, I am way too fucking scared to even play horror games anymore. And I've transitioned out of horror games, but I feel like I'm watching more horror movies. So it definitely hits the brain in a different way. I mean, I'm sure if we talk to like a neuroscientist or something, they would be like, oh, yeah, sure. X, Y, Z means this. And this is your brain is receiving this information in a different way. I'm sure there's some kind of reason for it. But like, it's interesting that we've kind of like went like in different directions on that spectrum. Because I can watch a horror movie, no problem. But man, like... Even playing, like, very, like, like not even scary parts, but, like, a part that is, like, slightly dim in a game. And I'm like, oh, and I get all, like, skeeved out and scared. But watching horror is, like, no big deal. So, uh, anyway, so questions. Um, I guess, number one, did you feel like it told a complete story? Or was it just, like, just kind of a slice in the life? And also, getting back to the rules thing, I think that's a really important thing when... People are making movies. I mean, it's, it's, it's important in any media, any anywhere, anytime, whether it's games, books, movies, whatever. So I want to clarify, when you were talking about the rules of the movie, did you feel like the rules of the, the world that you were watching, was it silly just from the get-go? Or are you saying that they broke their own rules for convenience sake later on? Because if the rules are silly and the whole thing is consistent, that's one thing. But if somebody sets up a rule... And then they break it because that's the only way they can get the script to work. That to me is the big, the bigger offense by far. So which, which was it for you? It's, um, it's not silly. I don't think, I think the premise of the movie is actually, uh, really well done and really intense. Like this idea that there's these weird, like they kind of look like, Hmm, like if, okay, stay with me on this one, Brad, they kind of look like if a liquor from Resident Evil two, Mm-hmm. And a praying mantis had a love child and, (laughs) but it's like big, but they're like the size of like a car. That's kind of what they look like. And they're like Brown. Um, that's the vibe I'm getting from these monsters, but, um, the premise is fine. I have no problem with the idea that these aliens are like, or whatever they are, um, cause the movie doesn't really explain it and it doesn't need to, like, I don't, I don't need to know exactly where these things came from. Like it's fine. Um, right, right, right. But the movie does, uh, I think the premise is fine. Like there's these lethal aliens that hunt by sound. If you make noise, they like come out of the, you know, wherever they're in the woods or wherever and, you know, murder you basically or eat you. I'm not really sure what they do. Um, but my problem is that like, it's kind of one of those movies where like once it sets up some rules, it kind of breaks them. And I'll give a very vague example here. Like there's a part in the movie where they clearly show that the alien monsters can basically just like tear through a steel wall. Like there's like a structure and it kind of does a thing and it like bursts through the wall. And then later on, there's a situation where, characters who i will not name are any structure that is much less um what's the word i'm looking for like uh sturdy yeah sturdy's a good one um like it's it's they're in a thing that is less sturdy than the thing that the monster broke out of earlier or broke through or what have you and yet like it shows the monster kind of like trying to tear up this container and it can't and i'm like okay like okay like Come on now, like, this thing broke through a wall earlier, it could have cut this thing in half that these people are in, in, like, a split second, but because it's convenient for the suspense of the plot right now, 
they can't do it. And it, it really bothered me. And there's like an overarching separate thing where like uh, Emily Blunt's character is pregnant in most of the movie. And so as you might imagine, her being pregnant plays a role in certain parts of the movie. And like, okay, I get it. Like it's post-apocalyptic. You want to make sure the human race survives. But, like, why would you get pregnant? Like, this seems like such a terrible idea. Like, if you cannot make a noise without these things come bursting through your house to murder you, like, there's no such thing as, be, as like, delivering a baby in silence or, you know, expecting that process <laughs> to be quiet. So, like, why would you do it in the first place? Like, that's, like, a really big problem I had. And But, I mean, that's I'm more mad about the strength of the monsters uh, varying based from scene to scene. I'm less upset about the pregnancy thing, but there was just, like, some stuff that I was like, hmm, I'm not so sure about this. Um, but the premise, the premise is fine. I have no problem with it. Well, I, I hate it when that happens, when people, like, set up these rules and then they break those rules because they, like, write themselves into a corner. I mean, I can't say I haven't seen this movie. Uh, but it happens, you know, it happens more often than I would like where people say something and then something happens and then they just have to fudge it a little bit because otherwise the movie can't happen. I, that to me is messy writing. And I know it's a lot of work. I mean, has, as someone who has written two books, I know how difficult it can be to make sure you've got all your loopholes closed and you have to sometimes think about things ahead of time or maybe forget. You got to go back and fix things. It's a lot of work. And so whenever a movie or a TV show or whatever does it properly where it's really, really airtight, I have much respect for that. So, I mean, it's... It's not a, an unforgivable offense, although a little bit disappointing, because it seems like if you're going to set out with a movie where it's got a very particular premise, that you would spend a lot of time thinking that through and really making sure that it all made sense. But it sounds pretty good, although I do want to follow up and say, I would imagine that finding condoms in such a post-apocalyptic <laughs> wayland is probably pretty tough, uh, and perhaps... Uh, Emily Blunt is like the vanilla person, so they couldn't do alternatives that didn't result in pregnancy. So maybe, you know, <laughs> things happen sometimes. Maybe John Krasinski's character is not great at the withdrawal method. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> accidents happen under the best of circumstances. And uh, I could see I could see how a little oopsie could happen. So it sounds like a good movie. Uh, I, I was actually thinking of seeing this with my wife, if we could figure out some babysitting. Would you, and you said you would recommend it, though, right? I would recommend it. And actually, I probably should have sold this harder to you on Twitter whenever you asked me how it was the other day, because I'm like, this isn't a big hook for the movie, but I'm kind of particularly interested in having you and your wife watch it just from like the sign language situation going on and to see like, I don't know if it's like accurate or if you think it's like, um, I don't know, like well done or something like that. Uh, that That is something I'm very curious about. I was very impressed that they actually used a deaf actress because... Uh, very often in movies, they will find someone who is not the kind of person in real life that they want them to be. Like, for example, they often have hearing people who pretend to be deaf people or people who are not blind, pretend to be blind people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Happens a lot with transgender representation. They will get like a, like a straight white actor to pretend like he is a transgender woman or something like that. So I'm all about like having accurate representation. I think it really adds a lot to the performances. Um, like, for example, just to kind of diverge a little bit. There was a movie on Netflix, and I think it may even have been a Netflix original movie. It's called, I think it's called Hush. Did we talk about this? Oh, God. Did we? I feel like we did. I feel like maybe we did. It's been a long time. It's lost to the mists of, uh, of the past. But that was a movie which was about a deaf woman who was in a cabin, and then a serial killer comes across her cabin and realizes she's deaf. And he's like, oh, perfect. She can't call anybody, and she can't hear me. So I'm going to fuck with her for, like, the entire weekend and, like, kill her at the end. Uh, and that movie, was, which is kind of a cool premise and very creepy, 
uh, that lady was not deaf. And so, like, it really showed in her performance. There was many parts where I was watching it where I'm like, oh, that wouldn't have happened, or oh, that wouldn't have happened. And I'm sure, okay, so backing up a little bit, I'm sure some <laughs> people are scratching their heads a little bit, like, why is Brad talking about this? What makes him an expert? I don't want to get into the detail, details of it. I don't want to talk about it, really. But I do I do know sign language uh, fluently. My wife does also. So we are a bilingual family. And uh, whenever deaf stuff comes up in uh, TV or movies, like, we always have a very critical eye. And so, like, when, when Hush came along, I knew immediately, like, that actress was not deaf. And I think that movie was poorer for it. I really wish they had chosen um, a deaf actress because I think there are many good ones out there and it would have given that that role a very strong, uh, just, just dose of reality that would have helped the film. So I'm really glad to hear that um, A Quiet Place has that little deaf girl in it, which is great. Um, I'm going to piggyback on that again and say that this was kind of a movie week for me, a couple weeks. I want to talk about Rampage first because there's actually, <laughs> believe it or not, there's also a sign language angle in Rampage. Um, so Rampage, I'm assuming you haven't seen it, Corey. I have not, nor will I ever. <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured as much. I figured as much. So Rampage is starring uh, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, and this is actually like literally a adaptation of the video game from like. 25 years ago 30 years ago have you ever played rampage in the arcades do you know what it is i know i believe i'm familiar with it from the nintendo 64 version was there a nintendo 64 version i don't know i mean maybe there was i i wasn't the biggest fan of the n64 so i didn't delve deep into that library i mean it's 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 possible i don't know but for those who don't know rampage was an arcade game a pretty famous one back in the day uh by midway i believe where you choose one of three monsters in the original game you were either a giant gorilla a giant lizard or a giant wolfman sort of a thing and you just like you have a screen where there's like skyscrapers and you crawl up and down the skyscrapers you grab people out of windows and eat them you punch helicopters <laughs> that go nearby and you jump from building to building that's super 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 simple and i mean i always thought it was kind of cool because my favorite part about it was like after you you died you ended up going from being a big monster and you shrank down to being like a little naked person and they kind of like scooched their way off the screen embarrassedly, which I thought was always very cute and funny. <laughs> so when I heard that they were making a movie of that, I'm like, oh my fucking God, how are you going to make a movie out of this? <laughs> it's like a single screen arcade game that has like zero depth to it. Like, what the fuck? Uh, actually, it turns out the movie was like super, super good. So I really want to give props uh, to the, the screenwriters and the people who thought of this movie. I mean, I against all odds, I never would have imagine so what happens is uh they kind of you know i mean obviously they have to add quite a bit to the movie to make it you know a movie um the rock is like a zoologist who doesn't like people very much and he works with animals and so he's got a gorilla that he works with uh at like the san diego zoo or something like that uh people are doing genetic testing in space their experiment goes wrong their little space station blows up and all the sample stuff like crashes to earth one sample crashes near the rock's gorilla one crashes near uh, the Everglades, and so an alligator comes across it. And one crashes near, like, like in Montana, where like wolves are running around, and the wolf like sniffs the sample, and they all become infected. And what happens is they all grow to like super, super, super big size, and they get really aggressive, and they get really tough. They can heal really fast, and they're resistant to bullets and stuff like that. And so what happens is um, the scientists who are responsible for this stuff they set off this like signal that's kind of programmed into their genetics or whatever. Like once they become these monsters, they have this new genetic twist where if they hear a certain radio signal, they all have to go, it makes them angry and they want to go destroy it. So that's how they were going to lead 
these monsters around like military grade weapons or whatever. So they turn on the signal because they want to destroy the monsters. All the monsters converge in, uh, I guess it's like Chicago or something like that. And it's just like this giant movie about a giant monkey punching shit and a giant wolf <laughs> biting shit and a giant alligator ripping shit up. I mean, it's basically just like another, um, this big monsters biting and punching stuff. And I love those movies, dude. I know you're not a big fan of this. I love big things hurting other big things. It's like my, it's one of my favorite movie genres. Uh, I don't know if there's an actual name for that, but it was really good. I thought it was really good. The special effects were awesome. The monsters look great. Uh, I thought The Rock did good. He was very funny. He's just, he's just like, like the preeminent like movie star these days because I mean he, I know that he's like, a, he's an Islander like originally, but like, with his head shaved and he's so buff and everything, like he could be basically like almost any race, like depending on how they write him in the script. And so I think he's a, appealing to a lot of people. Uh, the leading woman in this movie was black, and so there was some representation there. And it was just it seemed like a kind of a diverse cast, which I thought was really cool. I like that a lot. Uh, but one thing that was really funny was that. The monkey that The Rock is friends with, they taught him sign language. And so in the beginning, they do actually a lot of sign language. And it's all, like, really accurate. Like, I have seen gorillas do sign language in real life in the past, and they don't do it perfectly, but they do it pretty well. And so they thought that they did that um, a very good job. Like, the, I could see that gorilla actually doing those signs, and it made a lot of sense to me. But the hilarious thing, which was a joke that only sign language people would get, was, like, The Rock's name is, like... Uh, whatever, Stephen Jones, or whatever it is in the movie. I don't remember what his actual name was. But he introduces, he introduces himself as Stephen Jones, and, like, when he goes to talk to the monkey, he's like, oh, this is my name in sign language. And when he signs it, it's The Rock. So, like, he introduces himself <laughs> as The Rock in the movie. So, like, only deaf people would know that he, like, was, you know, basically telling his real name in that movie as a joke. I thought it was hilarious. A very cute little nod to people who... Not very many people would have got that, but I thought it was a very clever joke. Um, but overall... Really good. If you want to see big things punching other big things, this movie was fucking awesome. So for me, I mean, 2018 is great. I got to see Pacific Rim 2, which I thought was great, and I got to see this one, which is great, and I'm hoping that uh, there's going to be more more big punching when the uh, Avengers comes out, I think, in a couple weeks. So this man, so much big punching this year. I'm just like, I'm in hog heaven, dude. Oh my gosh. So much big punching. So much big punching. I have one more movie to talk about really quickly. Um, I, a couple weeks ago... I don't think we ended up talking about Isle of Dogs. I did not talk about that, did I? You didn't, because I, I've i had my eye on this movie. I'm not sure if I'm going to see it, but I'm definitely interested in it. But I'm glad that this is kind of... I feel like we're doing like a reverse Quiet Place thing now, because I'm pretty interested in this movie, but I'm not sure if I'll see it. But I want to hear about it from you. So we saw it a couple weeks ago, um, and I'm not super familiar with... I think it's Wes Anderson who is the director of this. He strikes me as kind of a really kind of, um, I don't know, like alternate twee kind of a dude. I'm not sure that I would really be down <laughs> with his movies in general. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of them. I know he's kind of an indie favorite, but I, I don't think he's really in my lane, which is fine. I'm not, you know, no disrespect or anything. Just not really my taste. I just talked about big punching and he doesn't do big punching. So that's <laughs> fine. Um, but it was this is the stop motion kind of claymation animated thing where the premise is that it's like a fictional Japan decides that dogs are bad for the society. There's this dog flu that kind of goes around and makes the dogs all sick and crazy. So these people round up all the dogs in Japan and drop them off on this like garbage island and they just leave them there to get them off of the mainland island. And this boy who is from the mainland really loves his dog and misses his dog. And so he steals a little plane. He flies out to the island and he's trying to find his actual dog. And so that's really what the point is all about. It's just about him being on this island and finding his dog. But it's interesting because 
all of the characters speak in Japanese because this is a movie taking place in fictional Japan, but like everybody who is a person uh, with very rare exception speaks in Japanese once in a while, they will employ like an interpreter on screen. Like for example, um, the mayor of Japan or governor or whatever, he's giving a speech in Japanese and they show like a little cutout on the screen where there's like, like one of those like UN interpreter people, how they have like a little earpiece and they're sitting in a booth and they're like speaking to like all the <laughs> diplomats, you know? Yeah. So, like, they'll have that, and so that will, like, be a little English voiceover. But, like, most of the movie is just in Japanese. But the dogs all speak English. So, like, they're kind of showing that, like, the dogs are are speaking to themselves, but they can't speak to the humans. But there still is communication going on. So it's not, like, a totally silent movie or anything. Uh, but I thought it was really cute. I thought it was really weird, really offbeat, and kind of sad in a lot of places. But it was really good. And um, I think they tackle a lot of interesting issues. Some of it is pretty political that ties into stuff that's going on now. A lot of it is just really personal about, like, what kind of person you want to be. What do you stand up for? What do you believe in? Um, but I really enjoyed it quite a bit. I mean, it was it was not, like, the happiest film. I mean, it wasn't, like, super sad. I mean, we weren't, like, leaving the, the theater in tears or anything. But, I mean, there were definitely some hard issues. And there were some parts that were like, ooh, that was really sad. And that was sucked. And, you know, they're not afraid to show some of the darker sides of things. But overall, I mean, I really liked it a lot. And I really liked the dogs. Um the chatter between the dogs is really good. I mean, I, I don't know if people know this, but, like, it's like an all-star cast in terms of voices where they've got just, like, like every single character in the movie is, like, a really famous either American actor or Japanese actor. And uh, the dogs, one of my favorite dogs, uh, Jeff Goldblum is actually one of the dogs. And he is, I mean, he is brilliant. I don't know if you're a big Jeff Goldblum fan, are you? Uh, not really. Okay. Uh, but I am definitely a big Jeff Goldblum fan, and he is just, like, a treasure in this. Like, everything he says is just really funny and cute, and I thought it was really good. And, uh, I just liked it a lot. It was a really cool animated adventure. I thought it was very good. I mean, appropriate for kids, but maybe do a little parental guidance. Um, but after all, at the, at the end of the movie, I felt like, like it was totally worth watching. Like, I felt like, uh, not like a slightly better person, but I felt like I was better for having watched it. <laughs> There's a big, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's a kind of like a cloud of, uh, you'll probably see this coming from miles away, um, a cloud of sort of like Asian appropriation that's been following this film for its release and everything. Um, do, do you, I mean, I guess you're not like Asian American, so I can't ask for like an authentic Asian American's take on this, but um, did you come away feeling like grimy at all about how like some of its appropriation was problematic well you know Corey, i've had sex with asians so i feel like i'm qualified oh to answer God. this <laughs> i feel Ew. like i'm qualified to answer this question <laughs> <laughs> no kidding 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 um i did know about this controversy beforehand uh but to be honest i i okay so i mean clearly i'm a white guy or i pass as a white guy and i'm you know i don't i don't speak for anybody who is of japanese descent or anything like that um, but as a person approaching this film, I mean, I did notice that it was co-written by um, a couple Japanese people. So it wasn't just Wes Anderson and his, you know, wearing his white guy fedora writing this thing. I mean, he had <laughs> he had people who were of that descent giving input on this film. And I felt like that. I mean, maybe other people disagree. I felt like it was fine. I mean, I, you know, maybe I'm not the right guy to answer. I feel like I'm going to get in trouble by saying something because I don't know what's OK, and what's not OK. But I mean, as somebody who is approaching it as a white guy in America, I felt like it was okay. I didn't feel like it was racist. I didn't feel like it was appropriation. I mean, I, maybe I'm not the right guy to answer that. And if, I've, if listeners have other opinions or if they have feedback, I'm happy to hear that. And I'm totally open to that. But I, I read about this uh, movie 
And I know that uh, Wes Anderson said that he was inspired to make this by his trip to Japan, and so he was kind of thinking about things and you know he had seen and themes he had picked up on. And I felt like some of the stuff that he had done was pretty, you know, I mean, not that I'm an expert in Japanese culture, but I know a little bit about it, and it seemed like it was all kind of in line with what seemed appropriate to me. But again, I'm not the expert, I don't know. But I certainly didn't walk out of the film thinking, oh, that was really racist, I can't believe I watched that. I was like, oh, that was a cool movie, like, it was good, and I didn't, I didn't feel offended by anything. But then again, I wouldn't, so... Am I backpedaling enough? I feel like I'm backpedaling a lot here. I, I don't think you're backpedaling, and I also... Um didn't mean to like corner you on this issue <laughs> oh no i didn't i didn't think you were it's a it's a good question i didn't think you were cornering me at all i just it's tough to answer something because you know i mean we're both on twitter and you both know that as soon as you say something is okay then somebody jumps up and says it's not okay and i don't think that we do it out of malice i mean sometimes i think it's just ignorance or sometimes i think people you know i don't want to be that guy but i think sometimes people can be a little bit sensitive about certain things um, you know, but I'm not, I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm not trying to well actually anybody here. I'm just saying that like, from my view, I thought it was a fine movie and I didn't, I did not feel offended by anything and I did not feel the need to correct my son about anything that we saw. Like I didn't feel like anything there was giving a bad portrayal of Japanese people. Uh, I thought it was fine, but then again, I'm not Japanese. So maybe, you know, maybe if we have Japanese listeners, uh, who want to chime in on that, I would, I would welcome that. So. All right. Good. Good to know. Cool, cool, cool. One other... You got anything else before banter is over? I have one more tiny thing, but I don't want to cut you off. Uh, if you got something else you want to bring up. Uh, no, I don't think so. What else do you have? Okay. Uh, I just want to give a real quick shout out to uh, Lost in Space, which is going on on Netflix right now. Are you aware of this? Are you? Have you seen it? Do you know anything about it? I am aware. I know it's getting great reviews. I have not seen it. Have you ever watched the original? I think I watched... The movie that came out like 20 years ago. Okay. So Lost in Space was originally a TV series. I want to say it was late 50s, early 60s. I was a huge fan of that. Although I wasn't born when it was doing its original run, I did watch a lot of it in reruns and I just really liked it a lot. It's about a family who goes up in space, their ship has some kind of malfunction. They spiral off and they end up in this galaxy where they don't know where they are. And so they are, you know, effectively, as the title says, lost in space. Uh, They go on all these weird adventures. Sometimes it's like the Twilight Zone. Sometimes it's really goofy and funny um, episode by episode. And they had, um, you know, uh, two daughters, a son. There was a friend along. There was a dastardly doctor that was along. They had a robot that was along. And they went on these weird adventures. Uh, Super cheesy. It's the kind of show where, like, they would put googly eyes on a beach ball and say that it was an alien that was attacking them so and you know somebody like off screen would like throw it at them and they would like pretend like it was a monster and stuff super (laughs) super cheesy stuff but i have great affection for it uh they did do that movie with william hurt uh, like you said about 20 years ago that movie was terrible um i do not feel like they did a very good job at adapting that series excuse me but this is now on netflix it's a 10 episode season and it has nothing to do with the movie And it is like a complete reimagining of the IP. So basically, uh, this time around, again, two daughters, a son, a mom and a dad. But it's totally modernized. Like, um, the mom has had, uh, you know, she's like an astrophysicist. She ends up being kind of like the leader and the most, like, driving force behind the group. The dad has been in the military, and he's got, like, some issues because he hasn't been as close to the family as he wanted to be. Um, The kids are really brilliant because everybody who goes in space has to be like the best of the best because they're going to be colonizing 
Alpha Centauri, so they want to pick only like the smartest, most capable humans, which explains why the kids are not just regular kids. I mean, they're very capable at doing things. So they go in space. Some mysterious event happens. They crash on this planet where they don't know where they are. And while they're on the planet, the sun uh, finds an alien robot. So instead of the robot being something they brought with them, as it was in previous series, it's actually like an alien, like biomechanical robot that they encounter. Uh, I'm not going to give away a whole bunch of things, but long story short, it, it follows the lines of the original show where he ends up being friends with the sun and then, you know, stuff ensues. Um, they diverge from the original series because it's not comedy anymore. Like the, the original series started out kind of serious and then it got kind of goofy. This is very much like action, very kind of like cliffhangery, like the worst possible things happens in every episode to set up like a lot of drama. But I mean, it's fine. Like if you go into it expecting it to be like this kind of an action, one big disaster happens every episode and they get through it and they keep going. It's that sort of a show where it's not supposed to be like super realistic, but like thriller, action-y, a lot of, you know, cool sci-fi stuff happening. And I just, I really like it a lot. I think the cast is very strong. Uh, I think the robot looks cool as hell. And um, <laughs> the stuff that they do is just really, I mean, every episode, I'm just like, oh my God, that thing happened. Oh my God, how are they going to get out of this one? And it, you know, it's a little over the top for sure, but I kind of just go along with it for the thrill ride. And I think it's enjoyable from that perspective. Um, also very family friendly. Uh, a few dark things happen, but it's not super dark. And I think it's appropriate for most kids who are like, you know, not real little. Uh, and I just think it's really good. I think it's a great adaptation. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've about six episodes in, and I'm really, really, really looking forward to the the other four that are left, and I hope they renew it for a second season. I'm just having a great time. We're watching it uh, as a family, and just really just, I think it's great stuff. So if you like kind of rollicking sci-fi, where just one crazy thing happens after another, and these people are surviving on this alien planet, uh, very good show. I really think they have great production values, great scripting, uh, great cast. It's just really, really top quality stuff. Netflix is really... Uh, Hitting it out of the park these days, man. There is just a lot of good shit on Netflix right now. <laughs> I have seen on Twitter some rumblings about how the show reminds them a lot of Mass Effect. What do you think about that? I mean, uh, vaguely, but I mean, <laughs> then again, I mean, this show was like from the 60s. So anything Mass Effect had came from Lost, Lost in Space I first. That's I mean, true, yeah. It was a very, very influential series back in the day if you were alive back then or if you had seen it. I mean, that... That series had a lot of effect on a lot of things. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that maybe the robot looks a little bit like the Geth, sort of, vaguely. But other than that, I don't think it's really super Mass Effect-y. I mean, if anything, I think Mass Effect maybe took a few cues from Lost in Space. But <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily connect those dots. But I do think there's a lot of drama, a lot of interpersonal stuff happens. The characters, it's always just like one twist and turn after another. And much like the original um, series, uh, Dr. Smith in the original series was like a Russian spy who was on board to sabotage the ship, and he actually got stuck on the ship when they took off, so he ended up being trapped with the family. Very contentious relationship at first, and eventually he became kind of the scoundrel where he would always fuck things up and mess things up, but then he would also once in a while do something that was good, so you never knew what to expect from Dr. Smith. Same thing with the current Dr. Smith, who interestingly is played by Parker Posey, which I never expected that in a million years. She does a great job of being a complete fucking psycho, and I hate Dr. Smith. Um... <laughs> Very good reimagining of that character. <laughs> really, really good. So uh, I like it. There's also a lot of little nods to the original series for anybody who has watched it. The names of certain characters and certain things that they do are, are definitely callbacks. Um, not everybody's going to catch those, but they're cool that they're in there. And uh, 
I dig it. I mean, I don't know that I would recommend it to Mass Effect fans, but if you like that kind of thing, I think there's a very good chance you will like this, although they're not really the same thing, though. <laughs> all right. Uh, that's all I have, and I think if you're good, we only have one more thing, uh, which it was actually a listener question sent in. Are you ready to tackle a listener question? I would love to. So sent in by superfan Joshua Jackson, uh, he of the Mailman Cavs, uh, he says to us, is there anything embarrassing that you were misinformed about or didn't know for much longer than you should have? Now, I I saw the question. Did he give an example of anything like this? He did give an example. I would have to scroll back through Twitter for a minute to find it, but he did give one. Okay, Josh, well, that's my bad. I think I missed the example for some reason. So I'm not exactly, I, I don't think I could scroll back in my timeline quickly enough <laughs> for the purpose of the show. So I don't know exactly what your example was my bad sorry dude uh, i didn't see that but Corey, uh is there anything embarrassing you're misinformed about did you have an answer for this one i do have an answer for this um i so i was thinking about this um uh i've been i've, I've been continually thinking about this because i've been trying to think of like um uh, like more than one example, but I only have one. And I actually do have Josh's here. So let me read his real quick so we can preface Oh, good. This. Thank you. Um, thank you. Awesome. He, his silly example is that um, he thought whenever he was younger that because movies were in black and white, then the world was in fact black and white back then. That's an interesting example because I would ask Joshua, did you not look around? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think maybe he means that, like, I don't know, the world was black and white up until, like, The Wizard of Oz, and then all of a sudden it was in color after that. Like, like if you were living your life in the 60s or 50s or whatnot, then it was black and white back oh, then. Oh, maybe. That's interesting, Joshua. I would love to get a little more backstory in that, because that seems like a really weird and unusual uh, discovery to come to. I would love to get the story on that, because that sounds like an interesting one. So, okay. <laughs> Thank you for the example. I'm glad that you shared that. So, Corey, what was your what was your example? Uh, my example is, and this this is uh, kind of embarrassing, I think, for me. But so the whole time I was growing up, uh, my I was like to preface my family situation for you. Um, I came from. Uh, I have one older brother. He's five years older than me. I have you know one mom and one dad, and they uh, and my parent. Neither of my parents graduated from high school. They're both dropouts. Um, my dad was uh, like a diesel mechanic my entire life and did a lot of like uh, like car work and stuff. Um, my brother did not go to college. He graduated high school. He did not go to college. So I was the first person in my entire life that went to college or in my family that went to college. Um, and I remember the whole time, like just like from stuff that my mom would say whenever I was growing up that she would say like, like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, it's a good idea to go to college. Um, you know, you'll make more money that way. And so, like, in the back of my mind, the whole time I was in college, I was just, like, imagining, like, making more money, but I didn't really, like, know how to navigate that. And I, whenever I was in college, I was working at Target. Um, I worked at Target for, like, 11 years. And I remember, like, I was, like, 22 or 23 and had been thinking about graduating college and thinking this whole time about my mom had always said, like, oh, well, once you graduate, you know, you'll make more money. And, like, somehow I thought that that meant that, like, as soon as I got my bachelor's degree that I was going to, like, get a raise at Target and, like, suddenly be making more money at work. What I failed to realize was that 
what she really meant was once you have a degree, you can get a better job that requires a degree, which likely will pay more than a job that doesn't have a degree. So for like the longest time, and I was like early 20s thinking like, oh, cool, once I graduate, like I'll get a raise at Target. And obviously that is not how businesses work, but it took a very long time for me to come to that conclusion on my own. Okay, that's a good example. That's a good example. Um, and yes, I mean, I mean, like hearing you describe it, I was like, oh, does that mean like an envelope full of cash is going to arrive as soon as I graduate? <laughs> like, I'm just going to like get more money. Like, that's awesome, dude. I want to go to college too. <laughs> okay, so I, I actually didn't have any examples before we started the segment. But as I was listening to you tell your story, I was like, oh, okay, I, I came up with actually a couple. Um, the first one is I think the embarrassing or, or a thing that I was misinformed about was like, as a kid, I think I just assumed that adults were like smarter and wiser and better at things <laughs> than kids were. Yeah, 100% fucking not true. Now that I am 42 and I think that I qualify as an adult, I look around and I see adults being stupid and petty and ill-informed and childish and just, it's just not true. Like politicians are terrible people. Uh, you know, people who run a business are terrible people. Like there's so many adults who don't know what they're doing. Like you just, you don't gain that wisdom magically when you hit 30 or 40 or whatever, like you are that same person. Like I may be 42, but like looking at how I feel internally, I still feel about the same as I did when I was maybe like 26. And maybe that's maybe when I mentally matured or when I just realized that that's how things were. And so I don't, feel like I'm gaining wisdom. I'm like, oh no, I'm, I'm like literally the same person. My body is older. Uh, but like, no, you don't, you don't automatically defer to older people just because they're older. That doesn't mean they're smarter. That doesn't mean they're better. That doesn't mean they're wiser. Um, that's a myth that is perpetuated by grownups, I think, or at least grownups back in the day, super 1000% not fucking true. Uh, so that was a thing that I'm embarrassed to say that I believed for quite a while and wasn't really, woken up about until you know i don't know until i hit maybe you know mid-20s or something and realized oh you guys are fucking knuckleheads just like you were before so <laughs> um the other thing that i was really misinformed about and was a little bit embarrassing uh i'll, I'll have to uh i'll have to whisper this because my son is in the room <laughs> but uh back back when i was in elementary school uh you know i would be walking to school with a bunch of other kids in my neighborhood we would all like get together as a group and we would we would walk to school together and, you know, as kids do, you know, you, you hear things or you talk about things, you see what everybody else knows. Because, I mean, at that point, it must have been maybe like 10, something like that. And I remember one day this guy was like, he started talking about, he started talking about, he talked about dildos. Oh, no. Do you hear me? I did. Okay. And so nobody in our group had any fucking idea. I don't know where he heard it. He must have heard his mom and dad talking about it or maybe heard it on TV or something. But he started talking about it. Like, he knew what it was, and so all of us kids were like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Like, we know, too. And, like, nobody had any fucking clue. Um, you know, I think some people thought it was, like, a machine. Some people thought it was, like, a costume. Some people thought it was, like... I mean, I, nobody <laughs> knew what it was, and we all acted like we all knew what it was, right? And so everybody... Like, whatever outlandish thing somebody thought of, we just assumed, oh, of course, because no one wanted to admit we didn't know, and so we were all like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, too. That, that makes sense, and... It was just like this bizarre thing that went on for a couple months because nobody, I mean, Google wasn't a thing back then. The internet wasn't a thing back then. So you couldn't just go home and look it up. And so it was just like whatever you heard on the street. And of course, in that particular situation, the word on the street was wrong. <laughs> and when I, I, when I finally found out what it was, I was like, oh, oh, okay. That totally makes sense now. And boy, we were way off on that fucking topic. So 
that was probably uh, one of the other notable things. But uh, hopefully, Joshua, you've enjoyed those examples. Uh, it proves that nobody's perfect and nobody knows everything, I guess. Uh, but I think that's it. Any uh, last bits of banter before we uh, move on to talk about games? Uh, I don't think so. I hope that... Um like josh stuck around because we made him wait till the very very end of the show to answer his listener question <laughs> that's true we made we really made him work for it so josh <laughs> hopefully you're listening hopefully you listen this far we did answer your question and uh there you go and also feel free to send us more questions i would love to hear more about your black and white world i think that sounds like a very neat story <laughs> i'd like to hear more about and uh for anybody else who wants to send in questions we will as we have proven time and again we will answer any fucking thing on this show no problem uh, I don't know about you, Corey, but I think we should talk about some games. I am ready. Let's talk about some games. <laughs> <laughs>